Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drifting Prime, and I am your host, Gerald Hernandez. And this week's guest is David Samani from Finish Line Factory. Um, that the company that makes uh, actually all of the fittings, hoses, and all that fun stuff that I use on my personal vehicle. Uh, be sure to check them out at finishlinefactory.com. Uh, David comes on just, we just kind of talk, we actually talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, we talk about drifting, we talk about dealing with poor sponsor ease, a perfect example of one. We talk about uh, a little bit what he wants to see from a sponsor, return on investment stuff, um, really gets into the brass tacks on this. So I hope you guys enjoy the show, and then we kind of shoot the bullshit about cars a little bit towards the end. Um, thank you guys for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Anyways, man, how you doing? Pretty good. Just, uh, you know, hanging out at home. I heard that. I know, I just got home, like, not too long ago. Been a long day. Yeah, I wanted to go to the store, but then the store was closed. I've just become so used to, like, with the business and stuff, like, I'm usually busy during the day, so I've become so used to, like, going to the store, like, one in the morning or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, like, Walmart, because it's just it's 24-7. Is it and, still 24-7 uh, with the pandemic? No, no. They all close at like 8, 9. Assholes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I wanted Whatever. motor oil at like 2 in the morning last week, and they were closed. Yeah. And like, oddly enough, you know, Walmart's the only place where you can get motor oil at 2 in the morning. I well, know. Actually, we do have a 24-hour zone. Actually, we have like a handful of those around here. Um, yeah. But depending it's like on an hour you... drive. But... Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I think the the only one I can think of right now is probably like a good forty five minute drive from my house. Yeah, but if you need an alternator at two in the morning, they got you. Yeah, right. I oh. think it's because that that all that AutoZone serves as a like a major hub for the other AutoZones. So it's it's not just like a store; it's it's a warehouse, and they figure you know, well, if we got to keep the warehouse going twenty four seven, you know, yeah, that would make might sense. as well have the front end going twenty four seven and make a little money on the side. That, yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah. Um, anyways, man, if you would like to please introduce yourself, um, who you are, where you're from, and what you do, and all that fun stuff. Hello, everyone. My name is David Samani. I am the owner of Finish Line Factory, and uh, I am David. I, I play a very handsome uh, gentleman on the Finish Line Factory YouTube channel. Um, I've been working on cars my whole life. I'm a car enthusiast. I'm a software engineer. And, um, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. So for people that don't know what Finish Line Factory is, if you can go ahead and explain what you guys actually do. Well, Finish Line Factory is a high-performance racing supply company. Uh, currently, we focus on selling uh, very high-quality fittings, AN fittings, hoses, weld bungs, um, like nylon braided hose, stuff that you can use for E85 fuel systems, oil systems, you know, just fluid delivery. Uh, everything is very high quality, tested, proven on racetracks. You know, I, I don't, I don't sell anything that I wouldn't use on my own cars. Um, and because I use them on my own cars, I want to make sure that, you know, I sell good quality parts because I wouldn't want to put junk on my cars. What are your own cars? Currently, I have a 2002 Miata. It's got a fully built engine, turbo. We just wrapped the car. I just damaged the wrap, taking the engine out again, so I gotta get nice. the bumper rewrapped. Yeah, um, I made the mistake of buying a one-ton 
because I, I always borrowed my friend's uh, hoist, right? Uh-huh. And after like the fifth time, like I realized I've used the, this hoist more than I've like, more than he has. So, because he's probably used it like once or twice, I think I've used it like five times. <laughs> so at some point, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to just go and buy one, right? So he had a two-ton hoist. I bought a one-ton hoist because I thought that's what he had. Um, it turns out that the one-ton hoist it'll do the job, but it's significantly smaller. So as a result, it has to cut. The arm is not as long, mm-hmm. so it has to come much closer to the bumper. And because of that, I ended up um, just one little touch, and it damaged the wrap. So that's um, all it takes, man. <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can patch it. If not, I'm just gonna rewrap the bumper. You know, it's kind of like, well, uh, my mistake. Yeah. yeah whatever. Uh, what would have maybe worked is if I took maybe like a like a like a yoga mat and put it between the bumper and the uh and the hoist that would have completely eliminated that risk or some type of like uh what is it fender protector wrap i or mean heck, the mats a, a cardboard box I mean, and you're like <laughs> anything anything. <laughs> anything yeah anything other than a direct metal to bumper contact would have been sufficient but yeah i bet so uh, it's one of those learning experience yeah uh, i learn new things every day but then again i'm also an idiot um how did so how did Finish Line Factory come to be? Like um I so real quick, I found out about you guys last year. I have no idea how I found you. I do not remember. Uh um, but it's I stumbled so but I stumbled across it and then I reached out to you guys and so far you guys have been supplying all the parts on my car, but I've always been curious how have you guys uh came to be? So I wanted to get into something, right? I used to own a a company called DS Autosport. Mm-hmm. Um and I sold like parts and stuff and I was kind of drop shipping and I wanted to get into doing something different where right? I wanted to get into doing my own parts. Um, so we, we tried like different parts, uh, testing here and there, tried maybe suspension um, or maybe exhaust. And I, I decided, you know, um, I was working on my 240SX and I had like all these thousands of dollars of turbo parts and engine parts and this and that spewed around, and I needed to, I needed a fitting, and there was nowhere around me that that had a fitting, so I searched and searched and searched and searched because there was a company here that moved out, mm. that stocks fittings. They they moved their, their location uh, further north, and you know no one had a source to get fittings. Yeah. Um, so I ended up buying the fitting, but at like a kind of like an inflated price because I think I think they just jacked up the price on me, um, which they're free to do. I mean, whatever, you know, it's a supply and demand, you know. So I just paid it, but then I realized, you know, I could probably solve my problem and a lot of other people's problems by just maybe starting a fitting company. This could be a good idea. Uh, so I saw the need and I started doing testing, and man, like a lot of the fittings that I got to you know try out were were just junk like i wouldn't even bother selling them to anyone because like you just look at them and it's, and it's junk you know like yeah. certain fittings like it, like a 90 degree fitting wouldn't be like 90 degrees it would be like 95 degrees you know so uh eventually i i did i tested several different different uh factories uh i asked i had several uh uh, some of the factories, I asked them for some customizations, um, some changes to the fitting uh, to suit perhaps better assembly, 
uh, better ceiling, so on and so forth, better reliability. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found one company that produced one factory that produced uh, very high quality parts. They made the changes that I requested, and you know, I was like, "Well, these are the these are the parts to sell. These are the this is the good. These are quality. The I put them on my car. They didn't leak. They didn't fail. I took the car on track." beat the crap out of it, get everything super hot. Um, and time and time again, they just wouldn't, wouldn't break. And I figured, you know what, if, uh, if these can handle me, then they can handle anyone. Yeah. And to attest the strength of, you know, the, uh, hoses, at least the dash 16 that run underneath my car, mm-hmm. I made the mistake of not lifting my trailer high enough when I loaded my car and mm-hmm. I didn't have my hoses securely mounted and it pretty much ripped them out from under the car. Oh, geez. And they're still sealed, still holding. Oh, good. There's a little scuff on them, but still rocking, so I'm not going to change them until they uh, blow apart. Hopefully yeah, not on I, I had a customer that sent me a photo uh, a while back. He had a truck, like a twin-turbo truck mm-hmm. with an automatic transmission, and he was using my fittings and hoses for the, for the, um, the transmission cooler, right? Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> He was brake boosting the truck and ended up frying the transmission oh, and shit. frying all of the clutches inside of the transmission and frying the torque converter and all that. I, I don't know how it all works, uh, but he, he fried the transmission and he had gotten the transmission oil temperature so hot that um, on the hose, so the nylon braided hose, it has a synthetic rubber hose, synthetic mm-hmm. rubber lining that is bonded to a stainless steel outer like inner braid yeah and then there's the nylon braiding over that um the hose the the oil probably got he, he says the oil got to like 500 600 degrees like something absolutely mad yeah that's and insane. the hose <laughs> did, the hose did not leak you know the uh the nylon braiding was melted in a couple places because of course it is it's nylon you know it's yeah only gonna hold it with so much uh heat. heat yeah but the hoses did not leak they did not fail. Um, they didn't spill oil all over the place because people don't realize it, but fittings and hoses are safety items. You know? Yes. Uh, you should treat your fittings and hoses the same as you would treat uh, a helmet or your gloves or your racing suit or a roll cage because one of those things fails in just the right location or in some cases the wrong location and you're going to spray oil all over your manifold. Or fuel. Awesome. Fuel. All on the, the headers. Map. Yeah, that's so Right awesome. on your headers, right on the turbo, uh, I don't know, radiator, whatever. Um, and that could start a fire. And then you've got your car on fire, yeah. um, which uh, at, at a minimum is going to cause a lot of damage. At a maximum could damage you. So you want to make sure to have quality components. And this was something that I realized. Like if I sell junk and it fails then I've got a huge liability problem on my hands that Definitely. I don't want to deal with. So by making sure that I did I did the correct research and the correct development and uh, proper testing procedures to ensure that everything is high quality and not going to break on me, I don't have to worry. Yeah, and you know another thing is yours actually don't discolor in the sun. I, um, oh, really? I was working okay. on another car in my garage, so I pushed my car outside and it had the um it has a couple of the lines still connected to it 
but on one end of one end of those lines i don't have a finish line factory um hose end i just mm-hmm. i just had like another a spare one from a la- the last build i had and mm-hmm. they were both in the sun the same amount of time yours is still black as the day it came and then the other one's like kind of like bronze now mm, yes i had actually been talking to a customer about that and he said do your fittings discolor in the sun and I was like, well, I, I have no idea. We didn't test for that, you know, because I was more I'll send concerned you a picture. about. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I was more concerned about um, performance and safety and reliability um, than I was about, you know, UV resistance because uh, UV light just, you know, messes up everything. Uh, the only time I ever had discoloration was under extreme heat. So the fittings that are on the turbo are going to get discolored. There's nothing you can do about it. The turbo's getting to 900 degrees. Like, what do you want? You know, you just, something's got to got to discolor, right? Yeah, something's but, gonna give. Um, he he had told me that some of the dragsters, because you know they're they're there's no hood or anything. It's just a dragster. Uh, on on some other fittings, because they left them out in the sun, the top of the fitting would discolor and turn like a copper color, and the bottom would still be black. So that's good to know. I'll, I'll tell that customer that the uh, the fittings gonna, won't discolor in the sun. I'm actually going to send you a picture right now. I had it. I had it off. Yeah, send it on Instagram. Okay, well, uh, or whatever. I, but yeah, it's uh, I never. I thought that was kind of neat because sometimes, like, so with the back of well, at least my car in particular, um, on top, like that's all exposed to the sun. So like where my fuel right. cell and all those connections are. And, you know, over time, you just don't want to see it discolor. You still want it to look nice and stuff like that. So especially for the guys who are into, um, like my dad, for instance, he's into like old hot rods and stuff like that. So everything has to stay looking nice. You know what I mean? His isn't a race car. So, you know, he obviously like really cares about shit like that aesthetically. Um, Yeah. And I kept telling him about it, but he has yet to make an order. Yeah, I mean... Uh, when it, when it comes to like old muscle cars and and stuff like that, the domestic cars, um, everything's got to look good because you, you want to be able to look at the car as if you were looking at it 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, and it may have been maybe period correct or tastefully modified or even modified today, like a resto mod. Um, and if even a small detail looks off or bad then it's like oh look it's a it's a 30 year old car you know you want it to look like a zero like a zero year old car like a brand new car um so yeah i could i could respect that but you know you got to try them out <laughs> yeah exactly uh he has to stay under the hood though he doesn't have all that fun stuff where he has to leave stuff in the sun uh you oh, know good. for days on end and i might just do is uh i was thinking about testing that just t- taking like a couple of fittings just like stashing them in like a shallow box outside so they don't like roll away and uh just seeing if they become discolored in the sun like just stick them on the roof and forget about it for like a year or whatever see what happens but yeah uh, now i don't have to do that so that's good yeah i'm actually sending you the picture right now i had to take a better one um so you know owning a company and stuff like that uh one thing i like to discuss on this podcast um is sponsorships um not necessarily having like an open invite telling everybody to go apply for a sponsorship from you. But, um, what are kind of like some of the things you do expect from somebody who is looking for a sponsorship? 
um, something that you guys, you know, it's kind of like you have so to have I get, these things. I get sponsorship requests constantly, yeah, left I, and right. I bet. <laughs> and I, I review each one. I actually do look at each one. And I evaluate, you know, is uh, this someone that is, I guess, are they actively competing? Are they actively working toward um, competition at, at any degree, right? At any level. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of people that they say they're, they're building a race car, but they're they're building like a, just a, a nice street car, you know? Yeah. Um, which is fine. You know, if you want to build a nice street car, that's perfectly fine. You know, you want to maybe go street racing or whatever. That's, that's whatever, you know? Uh, mm. don't, don't street race kids. It's a bad idea. <laughs> but right. um, is this person actively trying to compete, right? Mm-hmm. And then I see, I, I try to judge, you know, whether or not this person is, you know, in it for the long haul. Right. Because like, yeah, you might be trying to compete, but then maybe you'll fall out after like six months, you know? Yeah. Or you'll, you'll compete a couple of times and then, you know, uh, you blow your motor. Are you going to actually build, build another motor, swap it back in and go run again? Or you're like, oh, well, I can't afford it. I'm out for the season. You know, uh, people need to understand that. You know, unless you're actually, you know, professionally, you know, you don't have to be professional, but if you, you don't have to be a professional racer, but you have to at least conduct yourself professionally. And, yeah. you know, if you're um, trying to compete in a season, whatever it may be, there, there's competition at every level. Um, if you're trying to compete in the eight second bracket or whatever, Mm-hmm. And uh, you have enough money to build the motor, but you don't have enough money to um, build the motor again. Then you're kind of over budgeting yourself. You might need to scale yourself back if you want to, you know, be competitive. Yeah. You know, because blown motors happen. It just happens. You know. And then uh, it's like, oh no, th- we have to build another, you know, twenty thousand dollar engine. You know, we barely afford to build the first one. Uh, where you might have a little more fun competing in like a 10 second or 11 second bracket where you know the the budget is much lower your risk of blowing the motor is much lower you can still have fun compete at that level mm-hmm. there's still good prizes to be won good good friends to, and friendships to be made but Definitely. you know nobody wants to blow their motor and then it's like ah oh, well can't can't go at it you know uh, kind of like call it quits type deal. Yeah, yeah. And I, I look for the people that are... I would rather sponsor someone that's competing in the 10-second bracket and is consistently going to events and yeah. consistently competing and they blow their motor and they can consistently build another motor, get it back in the car and get out there and compete than someone that... Over someone that, you know, they have an 8-second car and it's like, wow, check out this car. It's super fast. And then uh, something breaks and they're down for like six months, a year, or whatever. Um, that's me right And they, now. they can't... Fi- yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that, that's okay, but... Like, I know, I know I have some friends that, you know, their, their car blew up. Yeah. And they had an eight-second car, their car blew up. But at least they're making progress toward getting it back on track. They didn't just, like, call you know? it quits. Yeah, they didn't call it quits. They may be making slow progress. That's okay. But they're making progress. They're actually moving towards 
um, that level of competition. Yeah. Whereas some people, they blow their motor and then the car sits in the backyard for, you know, three years and then they sell the shell. For nothing. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the difference between someone that is actively trying to compete and race at a with with professionalism versus someone that just kind of you know they want to they want to but they're not I, I feel like they're not budgeting themselves and they're not doing it right you know what i mean yeah even personally like i've had guests that came on this show that were supposed to like come into pro-am like kicking and screaming and then you never hear anything from them again um or just people yeah. who were like who were already competitors and then dropped out out of nowhere and you haven't heard shit from them for you know yeah a year i've i've had some friends that um you know i know some people that they've actually taken out bank loans in order to compete in pro-am you know that's wild because they're they're so dedicated toward that that pursuing that level of performance and uh, yeah that level of motorsport that they're willing to put on debt in order to uh to compete at that level that's like the only thing i haven't done yet like, you know, yeah. The only thing I haven't done yet is put anything on my credit card that I couldn't pay off, like yeah. that month. Yeah. So I don't want to be that guy. Um, yeah, I've put it like, I I wanted to do that. I wanted to like my first, uh, my second two forty, my S fourteen. I was building it to to race. Um, I wanted to race in a local uh, amateur racing series. You know, to kind of get my feet wet into motorsports. Uh, I did circuit road racing, and. Uh, before I realized that I was, I realized that a single day at the track, assuming that nothing breaks, would cost me a thousand dollars every single time. Yeah. And there's twelve. There's like I think an event every month, right? Events between tires and fuel and and entry fee and oil and brake fluid consumption, brake pad consumption. Yeah. It's like minimum a thousand dollars, assuming nothing breaks, which is a terrible assumption. Uh, and then I realized that at some point it, it, it kind of becomes more of like a job than it does something fun, you know? Um, I would really would like to compete in, in motorsports and road racing. I feel like I can, um, you know, compete at that level. But yeah. Yeah. I kind of scaled myself back and I thought, you know, this might not actually be what I want to do. I like going out and having fun, going to track days, you know, making it more casual. And it's more fun as opposed to um, we have to get the car together. We have to do all this. We have to be there at like six in the morning and start unloading the trailer and prepping the car to run. Um, at some point, it, it goes from being fun to more this is our job. This is our task. And I kind of like the more fun. I kind of like the fun so, stuff. So it's kind of like it. it- you know, when you go to compete somewhere, you kind of have like the um, yeah structure. It's, it's, it's like a, yeah, it's like that with any uh, any level of motorsport. Like you're showing up at like six in the morning to the to the pits, prepping the car, getting the trailer unloaded, all yeah. that stuff. And uh, I like sleeping. So, so do I, man. <laughs> you know, I think in the future, especially as um, the company's sales uh, continue to improve, and I'm able to get a larger shop. And have more space to work on race cars and stuff. I think I will be doing that. You know, but you gotta but get you I'll gotta get yourself to, situated uh, to do so, though. 
Yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm, and at some point, I'm sure I'll also have the budget to do so as well. Yeah. You know, because the car alone cost me like I think on my S14, I got about twenty five thousand dollars into it, Ugh. and then realized in addition to the thousand dollar a day thing, I realized I needed an additional six thousand dollars to spend on the car in just safety equipment. You know, roll yeah. cage, seat, steer. Well, I already have the steering wheel, gloves, racing helmet, racing suit. Um, yeah, and it it adds up quick. At some point, I was like, you know what, man? This I don't know how good of an idea this was. <laughs> you know, Six thousand dollars in just safety equipment, thousand dollars a day every time I run it. Um, and at that point, I was kind of transitioning away from. Having and th- this was another another <coughs> killer. I was transitioning away from having a, a regular job mm-hmm. and focusing full time on Finish Line Factory. And at that point, I had even less budget to work with because I was trying to focus as much money into growing the company as opposed to you know building race cars and stuff. Uh, so I had to scale that back, and then I realized you know I, not only might it not be something that I want really actually want to do, um, but it's extremely expensive. Uh, oh, and I also would need to buy a trailer and a car or a, a truck, truck. that can actually pull that trailer. Yeah. Uh, the list so. goes on, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, you're so not now kidding. we're talking like another $10,000 or whatever a trailer costs. You know, I bought my truck for five. No, I think I got my so. trailer for like 1700 bucks with the tire okay, rack so on so it. That's not too bad. $7,000, right? Yeah. Um, I think as the company's... As the company grows, I'm definitely going to get back into it because then I'll go, okay, the company is, is growing. The company is stable. I have a reasonable budget that I can play with. Maybe I'll do like Spec Miata or something, right? No, that'd be sweet. Uh, or Spec E30 or Spec E36 or E46 or whatever. Yeah. Those, those are all fun. Yeah. Maybe I'll do drifting. I don't know. Get ready to spend all your money. <laughs> Wait, never mind. All of it. Anything you oh. earn. I want my money back. Yeah, dude, it's it's fun. I want a refund. <laughs> I don't even want a refund. I just want some results. Uh, how long has uh, Finish Line Factory been around? Uh, in October, it'll be officially five years. Sweet. All right. I wish I would have known sooner when I built the first car. I think it was in 2016 when I got it. So, yeah, you guys are already up and going, I assume. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, like it started slowly. In 2015, kind of grew into 2016. 2017 um, was when I decided to take it full time because I, I've been slowly growing the company and slowly growing the sales. And at some point, I realized like, if I want this to really pan out, I've got to, I've got to go full time on it. Yeah, you know, and just uh, take on a ton of debt and hope it works out. And uh, thankfully, it, it worked out because man, like, it was, it was a little touch and go there. <laughs> You know, for that first year, but after I saw like the first year, I, I grew the sales. Second year after that, I grew the sales. Third year after that, I grew the sales, and um, it's been it's been pretty solid ever since. So I'm I'm very thankful and very happy that I was able to uh, uh, adapt, improvise, and overcome. Yeah, that's that's kind of like a scary thing for me because I wanted to start my own business too, but. Then this pandemic hit, and then there's like a whole bunch of licensing stuff involved that gets real expensive to do that. So, yeah, if you want to start a business now, is probably the worst time to do it. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. I'll, Unless I'll, you're selling like masks or something, you know? Or yeah, or meth. And I'm not doing either of those, so. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know anyone that does that, so. Apparently, it's a good business to be in if you want to get rich. But also go hmm. to jail. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a uh, risk versus reward thing, you know. You can risk a lot, but then you get the reward. But then if it works, doesn't work, really work out. That reward isn't so good. Exactly. So, you know. Um, with your Miata, because you said that's just like uh, you're kind of like project car, or is that like have anything? Uh, is that going anywhere? That's my project car. Just something. Uh, it's just kind of. It's the current money sink, is what it is. <laughs> oh yeah. At least. It's... Um. But it's making progress. Uh, my intention with that car. Mm-hmm. Uh, people ask me, "Is that going to be a race car? Are you going to do Spec Miata? Are you going to do like some kind of series or whatever?" And it's like, "No, man. This is my track car." So, but I have a different purpose for that car. Um. A lot of people want to build a track car that they can drive in the street. I want to build a street car that you can drive on the track, which I think is much harder. I right? agree. Because you build a track car, right? It's got to be have the stiff suspension mm-hmm. and the crazy engine, and you know, Very you don't have gauges. You have like a, yeah, they're they're awful and they have uncomfortable seats. Um, but I think there's a greater challenge in building a car that is comfortable on the street, but still capable on the track. So my benchmark is kind of was kind of like, hmm, something like a Porsche, right? Because you notice you go to like track days and stuff, and people in Porsches just show up. Yep. They don't change tires. They, they don't show change up. their brakes. People Lamborghinis, you know, they just they just show up, and the car is already very capable. This car is already ready to go, you know. And then when they're done, they just drive back home. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do that. Because I'm with the 240, I would show up. I put the car immediately. Put the car in jack stands. Uh, take the wheels off. Put take take the brake pads off. Swap to racing brake pads. Put everything back together. Swap my wheels to my racing slicks or rate or performance tires because I had separate tires for the street and separate tires for the track. Uh, either slicks like Hoosier A7s or whatever, or high performance street tires like mm-hmm. a like a Hankook RS4. Um, and, you know, by the time I was already ready to get, get the car on track, I was, like, sweating bullets from top to bottom because it's, like, 95 degrees out with 150% humidity. Yeah. You know? And That's right. You, you get, you're out of Florida, right? Yeah. So, you know, and then I look at the guy in the garage bay next to me, and he's just like, hey, man, how's it going? You know? And his, his Cayman is just, like, chilling there. You know? So... One thing that I find hilarious, though, is that I benchmarked a Cayman to build the Miata with against, mm-hmm. and I've already spent more than it would cost to have just buy buy a Cayman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oops. Um, I was thinking of the, the same thing with that, the two forty. Yeah, with this yeah. Cadillac. But the difference is that um, the Miata. With the turbo and all that, should have about 300, 350 horsepower. Um, so it, it'll actually be much, much faster than the Cayman. Because the Cayman has 300 horsepower but weighs like 3,100 pounds or whatever. This has 300 or more horsepower and weighs um, 2,500 pounds. That's so scary. Yeah. It, well, well, what's scary is the short wheelbase. 
I think I've driven one. It was like the first gen. I'd driven one when I was like 16 or 17, like around the block. And it's just, I wasn't for it. Yeah. And I'm not a very big man. Like I'm like five, six. I'm definitely not a large man unless, you know, height wise. Um, But that thing just didn't feel right. I was like, no, not for me. I'll stick to American boats. Oh my God. If you're in like a turbo Miata, uh, you're like automatically a madman. Like the car is so short. Um, Now, granted, I have like 225 wide Hankook RS4s, so it's pretty well planted. Uh You know, I I haven't. What's uh, the track width on those things? The track width? I don't even know. I have to measure it. Um, Something super short, I'm sure. That's what I figured. The wheelbase is like super short, right? Like yeah, it's that is ten in- I think it's like, uh, last time I looked it up, I think it's like 10 inches shorter than an E36, uh, which is not a very long car to begin with. Correct. And uh, the problem is at high speed stability. So the mm. Miata at 140 miles per hour, the steering rack is has a fairly quick ratio. So you have to make tiny, tiny, very precise inputs or else you'll end up in... Uh, like the next lane, you know, so you have to be very, very careful with the steering. Um, so you gotta be, you gotta be careful with that. But yeah, what's scary about the Miata is it, because it has such a short wheelbase at low power levels, up to like 200, 250 horsepower. It's not, it's not too bad. Right. Um, uh, but it's at those higher power levels, 300, 350, 400, 500, where, you know, that short wheelbase really begins, begins to shine. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it kind of becomes an unstable car. So what I'm probably going to do is maybe give it a little bit of toe in on the front rear to improve uh, stability. Uh-huh. But you know, it's 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 one of those it's one of those things. Um, but that that's why like people that build like 400 horsepower Miatas, unless they're like drag cars, which even then you're you're a madman. Um, they kind of become like a different car they kind of become useless because they have so much horsepower all they do is spin the tires so coming out on on corner exit you're you're very liable to spin the tires so then you got to have like huge tires uh and there's people that do this they have like like time attack miatas Mm -hmm. they have like huge tires massive wings um and at some point like i realized i wanted to spec my car to like 300 horsepower because at that point it's just on the borderline of becoming useless without heavy suspension tires and um not heavy but just like well-engineered suspension tires and aero but it's still you know fast enough to like rip and it's fun you know um if i were to have a car with like 400 horsepower i'd I'd, i would just buy like a c5 corvette Mm -hmm. you know because then you, you have a much more you have, a, you have a platform that's actually built to that horsepower, and you can crank it up to, like, 800 horsepower, and it's still a fairly stable car. Yeah. Right. And then those things I, also are, like, pretty well balanced from factory, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, you could probably just bump up the horsepower a little bit, leave the suspension stock, maybe put some better brake pads on it and some, and some brake fluid and call it a day, right? Because you have a good suspension to start off with. Um, the Miata suspension is very, very soft. It's a street car. Uh, you know, so you go over bumps and it's, it's comfortable, but, um, if you're going to have super sticky suspension, then you're going to have a lot of body roll and then you're, you're not, well, super sticky tires. 
you're going to have a lot of body roll. And when you're going through corners, you're not going to be able to maximize the capability of all four tires. Yeah. And then, so you do all of your own work or most of it? I do most of my own work. Uh, sometimes I have like, some friends come over. Uh, if there's something that is like, okay, this is a lot of work and I don't want to do it on jack stands and it, it's, it wouldn't, it doesn't really cost that much to do, then I'd rather just pay someone to do it, right? Because like, uh, like when I did my differential, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can do my differential myself on jack stands, but I'm a busy man. I have to I have to run the business. I have to do this. I have to do that. And doing this on jack stands uh, is a huge pain in the butt. And it only cost me like three hundred bucks to pay my friends uh, over at a side mission garage uh, down the street to swap my differential for me. So yeah. I'd rather just do that, <laughs> you know. Um, sometimes I even pay people to do oil changes, right? Because oh, it's dude, like I'm the worst person when it comes to maintenance on my like personal vehicles. I just keep yeah. adding oil to it. As long as it keeps leaking, yeah. it gets fresh oil. I mean, yeah, you're kind of right. Just change the filter every once in a while. That's all I gotta do. But, yeah, like like oil changes. Um, it's like you have to jack the car up, drain the oil, change the filter, refill it. Then you gotta dump the old oil, and you're getting oil all over your hands. And then you gotta clean up all the oil that you spilled because inev- inevitably it's gonna happen. Um, all that to save 20 bucks. I'd rather just pay the 20 bucks. You know? Yeah. I was... It's a lot of work to save $20. You know? Like, if you're, if you're pinching, like, if you're, if you're, like, uh, you know, paycheck to paycheck, and those $20 might be the difference between paying rent and getting an oil change or food or whatever, heck yeah, do it. I did it. You know? When I, when I was, um, when I was younger, you know, I, that that twenty dollars was better saved in my bank, so I'd you know rather just do oil change myself. Um, probably ends up being cheaper anyway. Yeah. But now I'm kind of at the point where it's like, that's a lot of work, getting dirty and all that to save just twenty bucks. You know. I'm in the same uh, boat, but I'm also very cheap. Yeah. Now on the flip side, if I'm doing my engine oil and my transmission oil and my differential oil. Right, like a like a full fluid service. Yeah, and my 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 coolant. Right, like now we're knocking out different things at the same time while the car is up in the air. That's a different story, right? Because I can do all of that at the same time within like a, a span of a couple hours, you know. And then it's I'm not saving twenty bucks. I'm saving maybe like a few hundred dollars, right? Yeah, because that. Then it's worth it. I used to work at Jiffy Lube. That was like one of my first jobs. Yeah. And they would just like rake the money in. As soon as, if you got anything after oil change, everything was profit. Like right after that, like people would come oh, in yeah. for like a transmission fluid flush. Like you don't get your, or at the time, this was like what, 12 years ago. You didn't get your, uh, the filter changed. You just got a fluid flush. So you basically just oh, spent $60 you know what is it? maybe even 40 bucks like worth of fluid and we would charge like 180 bucks i'm pretty sure jiffy lube doesn't really make money on the oil changes like maybe like a couple bucks here or there oh yeah i'm pretty sure all the money is in add-ons yeah exactly because jiffy lube's oil changes are like super super cheap like mad cheap and like 
you know, after all said and done, they probably make like a couple bucks here or there. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You, know, you start you start raking it in. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you need a coolant flush. Hey, you need a transmission flush. Hey, your diff oil's you know it's, it's been like fifty thousand miles. You got to change that. You know, that's where the money is. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, car's already in the lift. Knock it out. Yeah, it makes it a little bit easier when he gets to that stuff. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, sponsorship stuff. Yeah. Is there a, like, what would you say something that makes you shy away from someone's um, sponsor request, like, immediately? Like, what, is, what would be, like, a, uh, a red flag, so to speak? If someone just sends me, well, the, the first one is, hey, I'm looking for uh, a sponsorship, and that's it, you know? Uh, because people don't understand what a sponsorship is, right? They think it's yeah. just, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting free parts and I'm representing this company. No, you're, you're, you're providing yourself as an advertising platform, right? And, you know, if I look at this platform and I see, okay, well, you've got minimal audience, minimal reach, um, you don't compete, you don't do anything other than maybe just, you know, build a couple cars here or there and, you know, that's it and show up to a car meet. That's not enough for me to justify, like, giving someone parts, you know? Like, usually I, I might just say, like, uh, here's, a, here's a coupon code, kid, get out of here, you know? <laughs> um, but if someone wants, like, a serious sponsorship, they have to present themselves in a manner that makes me think, yes, I am going to receive a return on my investment because that's what it is. It's an investment. Correct. Um, if I if I spend a thousand dollars in advertisement and I don't get any business out of it, I just spend a thousand dollars for nothing, right? Yeah. If I spend a thousand dollars in advertisement and I get twenty thousand dollars of business out of it, heck yeah, that's good advertising. That's a good return. You know? <laughs> so, people that are looking for sponsorship, they need to present themselves appropriately. You know, you mm. need to have an active and engaging social media account, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you need to perhaps you like, like that alone might be, might be enough to get you some sponsorship, you know, the podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, podcasts, YouTube, you know, if you have an active YouTube account, like I sponsored B is for build, you know, mm-hmm. I saw he was doing the LS swapped hurricane. I'm like, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. I want my stuff on that car, you know? And, uh, gingium, you know, uh, to this day, I, I still sponsor Gingium, and to this day, I'm still continuing to see a lot of uh, a lot of business come in from those videos. And you know, and, and just out of curiosity, how do you know it's coming from those videos? Just, uh, just so I can kind of have like a better understanding. Super simple coupon code. Okay, right. So, like, let's just say, if, not saying that you are, um, like, let's just say you decided to be like. Okay, people who listen to Drifting Pro-Am could punch in this code and they can get 5% off, whatever the case may be. So that's kind of like how you, you're able to see it on your end as an yeah. actual, this is a physical, like a, like you can actually yeah. see the return of investment you're making. Yeah. And then, you know, I can say, okay, well, I've, I, I can actually like download all of my, tra- all of the transactions off the website. Yeah. And then filter it by transactions that have that coupon code on it, right? And then 
I can see, okay, well, I've sent this person uh, $1,000 in parts, right? And then over time, I can see, okay, the orders that have come in off of this coupon code, right, mm-hmm. uh, are a cer- of, of a certain amount. And then I can say, okay, well, my re- return on this investment has been this much. And this was a worthwhile investment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which sense. is why I, c- I continue to, to send uh, Caleb parts, you know, because uh, Gingium. Because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, results, right? And, you know, a lot of times people, somebody um, sends me a sponsorship request and I look at their Instagram and they have like 15 followers, probably just like some Sweet. friends of theirs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 15, 15 followers. Uh, they have like, I don't know, some, some like rice car, like a ricey car. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's like, you know, missing half the bumper. Uh, you know, sometimes they get like, like legitimate people. A Civic that has like, yeah. With a whole saw in the rear bumper. Yeah. Uh, and occasionally I get, I get people that are like, they, they're building legit, like legitimate race cars. Yeah. Right. But, uh, they don't really seem to get the idea that, you know, they need to present themselves in a manner that makes them look appealing, you know, for, to sponsors. And so they they look at me asking for sponsorship, and they may they may actually have a legitimate race car and compete at least at a local level. Uh, and they go to drag strips every single every single week, right? Mm-hmm. And that's perfect. That would be that, that's exactly what I want to see. I want to see someone that's getting my logo in front of other people's eyes and using my product and and advocating for my product, right? Yeah. And at at a minimum, you know, saying, hey, look, I use this. On a consistent basis, it doesn't break. They hold up to my abuse, and they're perfect. They're perfect. Um, I, that's what I want to see. And you know, if you're not showing me any kind of, um, I don't want to say proof, to something that shows that you're you actually compete seriously at this level, and I just you know you just ask me for sponsorship. You know, what, how do I know that? You know? Yeah. How do I know that you're actually doing this? You know, you might be a, the perfect person to sponsor, but, I, you know, you're not showing me that you do this. Um, so, like, what the heck? Uh, that's why I, I encourage people that if you're, if you're looking for sponsorship, present yourself in a manner that makes me think, yes, I want to sponsor you because I, what I'm going to get out of it at least exceeds what I'm giving you. Um yeah, so like a lot of times if you're, the sponsored person gets a gets a better deal than I do, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, I can see how that would make sense because you don't want to lose money. Yeah, so a lot of times, like I, I look at it and go, that, that, that's why a lot of times I'll say, we're not looking to sponsor anyone at the moment, be you know, unless it's like unless the right opportunity presents itself to me, chances are I'm I'm going to say we're not looking to sponsor anyone at the moment, but you know. Because I don't want to completely turn anyone away. Because at a minimum, it could be at least be you know maybe I could sell them some stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I still want to you know help someone out, right? Because they, I want to help people out at a grassroots level. And if the thing that they're they're they, they want a little help, you know, buying the parts. And I understand that once you start adding things up uh, when it comes to fuel systems, mm-hmm. it can get a little expensive. Yeah. Um. I especially know that I've spent like. A, untold amount of money on the on my Miata so far <laughs> um what I'll say hey you know what I still want to help you out 
you know, you, you might be a good guy. Here's a discount code, right? And I'll give them like a little like a little discount code, and they can go on the website and and make a purchase, right? So that yeah. way, uh, you know, at least I'm it's it's mutually beneficial. You get a discount, I make a little bit of money, everybody's happy, right? It's okay. a win-win situation. Yeah. You know. Whereas if I gave the parts for free, and then a lot of times, and this has actually already happened, I gave the part someone you know thousand dollars in parts for free, they compete a couple of times motor blows up and that's that and they're they don't they don't rebuild the car yeah have you had like, like a situation what? where you've sponsored somebody and they haven't even like like you have no sticker on the car or you know whatever the case may be where they just kind of like didn't live up to their end i have sponsored someone um you don't have to name names a, i won't name any names but it was in a it, it was actually in a professional motorsport series. I won't name names, uh-huh. um, but if you know, you know who you are. Um, it was in a professional motorsport series. I sent them like a, a chunk of parts for free and the rest at like a deep discount. Uh-huh. You know, um, like deep enough that I actually like maybe lost money. You know, yeah, it's, which was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but whatever. I guess I sent them everything at, at like a deep discount. See them like a thousand dollars in parts for free. You know. They they put the stuff on the car. Um, I don't remember if they sent them free parts. I don't remember. Whatever. They put the stuff on the car, competed, and then I'm looking at pictures of the car, and my logo's not on the car. And I'm like, hey, what the heck? You've already done like a couple of events, a couple of races, and you haven't put the, my logo on the car. Oh, well, something or the other, some excuse. So I gave them no excuse. I put big-ass stickers in an envelope and mailed it to them. Uh-huh. Right? Can still, I look at event after event. My logo's on the car. I'm like, hey man, like you haven't even made like, you made a couple of posts here or there, but like you're not you're not doing you know what we're, what we're supposed to do. Yeah, you know, like, especially if if you're not, in a major sponsorship. Yeah, right. If you're in a major um, series, yeah. you know yeah. that major series shares those pictures from time to time. Yeah. Who has yeah. a way bigger following than Zed Driver? Absolutely. And it's like, hey man, what the heck? Like you're not you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, and kind of got like no response. Uh, several months later, I actually receive an envelope in the mail, and it says there's this little label on it that says unclaimed, right? Uh huh. Like, What's this? I peel the label off, and it's it's the guy's address. The the address that I had sent stuff to. Like, I guess they were just no longer there. <laughs> oh, shit. So I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe they just, like, they just, like, maybe they just ran out of money and they didn't compete anymore. You know, maybe they just shut down and moved somewhere else. But I'm like, oh, well, now I'm definitely not getting my sticker on the car. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. I just I just wrote it off. Uh, and that's why I decided I wanted to be a lot more, I wanted a lot more scrutiny. But what confuses me this is is that this is a professional race car builder. This was a someone that competed in a professional series. I'm not talking about like you know a couple things here or there, like some some local amateur series. This was like a nationwide professional series. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't get I didn't get my end of the my end of the deal. You know. So whatever. <laughs> that's all you can say really like, oh well whatever you know just write it off you know sucks got scammed 
I don't know if it got scammed or maybe they just forgot or maybe they're just lazy or or whatever, but I don't know the deal is. I emailed them multiple times. I sent them my logo, high resolution, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Never got far. What I should have done was when I was at when uh, I was at one of those events and I had seen the car in person, I should have just brought like a couple of stickers with me and just slapped them on the car, you know? Yeah, and it's it's it kind of gives you like that uh that poor judgment for whoever else might be like yeah in that same series or something like that like oh this guy already did me dirty yeah so it kind of ruins it for uh other drivers that are trying to make something of oh, themselves oh absolutely absolutely because there are people that are working hard to taking out those loans they're working hard towards becoming something you yeah. know they want to be at that top level of motorsport they want to compete they want to be first place second place whatever they want they want to be there and getting sponsors is hard enough as it is maintaining sponsors is hard enough as it is so the one bad apple sours the entire bunch you know yeah uh, i'm smart enough to realize like i've been a part of the business long enough to realize that this one example is not um an example for the rest of the series, right? For other drivers, mm-hmm. that there are other drivers in that series that are very professional and yeah. don't do stuff like that. But there may be other people that aren't, um, that don't, that aren't as, uh, you know, open-minded as I am. And, and it could that just shut behavior, it down. yeah, that selfish behavior really, really hurts the the industry overall not just that series but everyone yeah you know so i think we as as racers enthusiasts and professionals need to sort of self-police and call out people that have that kind of behavior you know that aren't fulfilling sponsorship obligations like i wasn't asking for much a logo on the car um maybe a couple mentions on instagram and youtube or whatever you know and that's not whatever. a lot that's not a lot it's that's... just bare. I was just asking the bare minimum. That is, right? yeah, that that I agree with that. That is the bare because, bare minimum. Yeah, because you know, uh, you, you have a large enough following, and you just make a couple of shout outs here or there, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, not asking for much. Yeah, but I didn't even get that. Yeah, that's uh, so, whatever. There's not much you can do about that. Yeah. So after a while, I was just like, you know what? It's not even worth getting mad over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, it's a lot of money, but I, I'm I'm more I, I I figured you know what it's probably better that I focus my attention on growing the company and making more money mm-hmm. than I am about trying to get my money back or uh, trying to you know do something about it. You know, like, what am I going to get? What am I going to do? You know, um, the driver of that series actually kind of. Uh, the, the driver on that team actually like, kind of helped me out and kind of um, helped me realize. It, it wasn't the driver's fault. It was like the team manager or something. He was kind of a scumbag. Uh, the driver actually, like, uh, I realized the driver was a good kid. The driver was a good guy. Yeah. Uh, and he got he got kind of caught up in it as well, you know? So. But that's good to at least recognize that and not just, just be like. Yeah. Because there is. So I, I, you've seen so it. So that driver, I, uh, I sponsor. You know, I, told, I told him, hey, look, whatever you want, man, let me know. You're a good kid. You just kind of, we all got just kind of caught up in a situation with a scumbag, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that 
I've seen that happen, especially like in uh, even in like Formula Drift. I've seen it happen a few times with the same person, unfortunately. Um, who you know, because that's obviously the ultimate goal for at least a lot of, not necessarily the listeners that listen to this ep- this podcast, but like some of the guests yeah. I have on who do want to go to Pro Two and move up the ranks to Pro One and compete in Formula Drift, and you know, a lot of them even said that they want championships in Pro One, so to like stumble across that and then you know to have the situation you had like we've seen it here so it's just yeah kinda, it kind of sucks hey man or, you know what it does suck actually. at the end of the day like you gotta watch your back you gotta be, you know you gotta do your due diligence make sure that people that you're dealing with are uh legitimate because from the very low lowest level amateur motorsport to the even formula one you know there's bad apples. Yeah. You know? Like, you notice, like, if you look at Formula One's history, there's, like, a couple Dude, of uh, that, uh, sneaky teams here or there. Yeah, that's NASCAR, like, too. NASCAR know, is point, dirty. Yeah. At that point, we're not talking about, you know, a couple thousand dollars here or there. We're no. talking a couple million dollars yeah. here or there. <laughs> and, uh, They're like, oh, this money just went missing get, into my pocket. Sorry. Yeah. It's like, where's $100 million, you know? Just disappeared. Yeah, and when they reuse the engine for two events instead of just, you know, one rebuilding it. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there one Formula One team, I think, that got, uh, they fell victim to the Nigerian Prince scam? Oh, it was the Haas team, I think. I yeah. watched it on Netflix. I remember I think, it. Yeah. Like. No, no, not Haas. Shit. No, team India. It was someone. Was it? No, that wasn't Force India. Oh, uh, no, I don't know. Some some team fell victim to the. Oh oh, Nigerian I know who you're talking about. Yes, and then he did it in NASCAR like a few years later. Yeah, like what the heck? <laughs> Same guy. Same guy. Yeah, you know? these people are crazy. No, hey, but when you're a exactly racer, they... when you're racing, and you're just like, I'll take the money. Like if you say you got it, I believe you. I'll take it. Yeah, because you know what? It's so difficult to get sponsors. Yes. That you know. When someone says, hey, look, I'm going to sponsor you. You seem like a good guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's like $5 million for your team, you know, sponsor me. Yeah. Um, I'm not in, and like for some people, for some of us, like at least myself, like I'm not even looking for like a full sponsorship ride type deal. Like I just want yeah. help with like product support, like which I received from you. Yeah. Oftentimes, sometimes just like, that's you a- know, uh, a, a nice fat discount. And, yeah, exactly. You know, some technical support here or there. Honestly, that goes a long, long way. It does. Because when you look at it, like, you know, um, if you're, if you're buying something that's, you know, four grand and you're getting like 50% off, that's two grand that can go towards an event. Exactly. You know, especially in drifting. Even if it's, it's like 20% off, you know, four grand, that's still like 800 bucks. Yeah. And that's still, you know, what it, on average, I think the tires are about eight, a hundred bucks a tire. Yeah. Um, for drifting, like that's eight tires. Maybe I think they're a little more now, actually. Jeez, uh, I was gonna say, like, hey, where, where are you getting your tires from? <laughs> yeah. They're, uh. Well, the drifting spec tires seem to be a little cheaper than the other stuff I've seen people run. Yeah. So I I have like uh, I I just get my tires for the thankfully tires for a Miata are like mad cheap. Yeah, I'm very jealous because um, uh, 255 35s are like, they range from like, I want to say anywhere from like 60 bucks to about 150 bucks, which is a huge gap. And, yeah. but, you know, it, it's kind of gotten to a point where like you, you get what you pay for. 
Yeah. So. I got my tires from Tire Rack. I used 225, 45, 15. What tires do you And Hankagara's 4s. Okay. Like sticky, sticky tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those were only like 120 bucks a piece. Ah, see. For some of the very best tires you can get. Yeah, see, that's not bad. No, like the yeah. tires I have on right now, like, they're like just burner tires. Like, I, everybody that runs them, like, they kind of, they have their issues, but they're so, like, inexpensive. And you get, like, you know a few extra laps out of like then a tire that's like $10 more a tire. Yeah. Which probably while that matters. Uh, I can also, I also have the option of running, uh, used spec Miata tires. Why they sell um, them dirt cheap. Yeah. Dude, Should I buy like, used spec Miata tires? Yeah. Wait, what oh, size? I mean, they're okay. mad sticky. They're like mad, mad sticky though. <laughs> like they're not what you think. Um, they're, they're, not tires. they're, they're like slicks. They're oh. racing slicks. Oh, no. Um, but I, for my 240, I would actually, for my S13, I would buy spec Miata takeoffs. Oh, sure. You know, because the car is super light. Yeah. So you get like, um, basically like they, what they do, like maybe they'll, they'll, take, they'll take the tires and throw a fresh rubber on the car, do like a couple of test laps, come back in, take the tires off, you know, and just before the, the, the big race, maybe they'll qualify in those tires, right? And mm-hmm. then before the big race, they'll put fresh rubber on. Yeah. But the old tires, like, they're still good. Like, they're not bad. You know? Like, you can still get a day out of them. Yeah, they just have a couple heat cycles on them. So, uh, I would throw them on the Miata, uh, not on the Miata, on the 240, on my S13, mm-hmm. and they would last me, like, a full year. You know? Because I'm not competing, you know, incessantly. I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm not competing constantly. I'm, I'm just doing track days. I'm just having fun. And I would go to a track day like every month, right? Or maybe yeah. like every couple of months. And I wish I could they'd, uh, you know, like when they were closer to the end of their life and after a few heat cycles, they would, um, they'd kind of drop off on their grip level, but they're still pretty decent. You know, they're still stickier than a, uh, than a street tire would be, Yeah. you know? And you get them like, I think, I forgot what I was paying for them. I think I was paying like, like eighty dollars a tire for slicks. No, uh, and they get shipped to your house. When you consider that set of like, I don't know what Hoosiers are anymore, like a thousand dollars or whatever. Holy shit! Seriously? Yeah, the slicks. Dude, like, I, if I you look know, at, I, okay, I've never, I've never looked into slicks, so I couldn't tell you. Ah, uh, bro. One day you gotta drive on slicks, not not for like uh, drifting. No, no, no do I don't want to break a whole oh. bunch. But um, for for grip driving man like mm-hmm. you can turn so much more so much harder uh on the turn in uh you can carry so much more speed because so, you have so much more mechanical grip uh with those tires but the flip side is they don't, they don't last very long um but yeah like I would, I would just get these used slicks and then just run through them and then you know at the end of the year or six months or eight months or whatever however however long they lasted i would just call up a um, one of these companies that they sell used racing tires and uh, buy another set. Yeah, I wish we had that ish with drifting, but you know you can't really do that because I've seen. Well, if people, you buy used drifting tires, so not it's exactly. Like, it's like, ugh. uh, I've seen, dude. I've seen some people do it and like still get like third place. Um, I mean, you get used tires. That's one thing, but like used take off drifting tires so you're kind of you're kind of buying a spent tire because do you, you drifters man y'all 
y'all run the tires down to the cords and then some. Yeah, but let's just okay. So let's just say, same scenario as you, right? So they go out yeah. and qualify. Let's just say one person goes out and does a qualifying lap, and then he takes those tires off, and then he does another qualifying lap, takes those tires off. There's still a good portion of tire oh, there. From yeah. a let's just say it's from a pro driver, and then now you're getting, now you're a pro am driver with like you know maybe three fifty to the wheels. Like, yeah. that tire is going to last you a lot longer than it lasted him. Yeah, because he has, like, freaking 1,400 yeah, horsepower, eight, V8, turbo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I've seen some guys saying. do it, um, and then they'll go out there and, like, sit on the podium. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate that uh, that you go to Formula Drift, and they drill holes in the sidewalls of the tires. Dude. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up. There's a there's like a video. Tires, like, Do you know who Spike yeah? Chen is? I don't think so. Okay, so Spike Maybe. Chen is actually a a former Pro Two driver. I don't I don't know what he's doing right. now. Um, but he made a fucking video about it. He's like, oh, by the way, I took all these tires from FD who drilled a hole in it. He was like, and I patched them, and then he went drifting in them. Yeah, but they do that. It's obvious why they do it. It's yeah, reliability. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Some idiot throws them on their car, and then there's like some weird deformation on the tire, and then the car the the car crashes, and then they sue Formula Drift for getting. I know, the but they don't say like, oh, it. it doesn't say Formula Drift. Like, I don't know who they're gonna sue. They're they'll they'll if if it exists, they'll find a way to sue it. Right? Like, yeah, that's true. It's like it's like Rule Thirty Four, but for like lawsuits. Like if it exists, they'll find a way to sue it. Right. So there is just a little yeah. bit of CYA on uh, on Formula Drift's part, so I get it. But that's funny. I never thought about that, like just patching them. Yeah, because you're not supposed to patch it. A patch it's that is fifty drive, cents. Like something. Yeah, but yeah, if you're just gonna to go burn them up at the track, like yeah. at a little go kart track, See, that's drifting to you. is a different story because if if you crash, there's walls and there's it's much safer. I don't. You know, have you have you, some, have you, have you hit happens. a wall drifting? Because it's not fun. I'll tell you that. I'd rather crash into a wall than crash into a tree. Uh, that would make sense. Uh, I've seen some because nasty... the wall will distribute the energy. Most likely, you're going to hit a tire wall, but I, I, the wall is going to distribute the energy Actually, over uh, over time. Whereas the tree is like right a, smack, you know. I gotta send you a video. Um, I actually hit the wall at Irwindale. Oh damn! I broke an axle in the burnout box in my last car. And then yeah. I kept trying to clutch kick in the whole way. And then for some, I was like, it's just, I didn't, honestly, I did, I had, I did not have enough experience to know what was going on. Right. And, um, so it finally just pushed right into the wall and you just hear it smack. Ooh. Yeah. It's, uh, but you, you didn't notice that like you're only getting power to one side of your car. I don't think it broke enough for me to be, for it to be an issue. So basically oh, it was kind of broken. Yeah, it was the driver's side. No, passenger side. I remember I heard a clunk in the um, in the burnout box, getting my tires warm. I took off, took took off like fine, took like normal, and then I went to clutch kick in, and then nothing. But just prior to that lap, I was just fine. Like I clutch kicked in, no problem. But this huh. one, it, it wouldn't break loose, and then I was like, huh. So I kept trying, and I still had my foot on the throttle, and instead of letting off, I just kept trying to like override it so to speak uh and then it i finally just went into the wall uh, so it 
It has. I'll send you a video. You can actually hear like the throttle too. Like every time I click the clutch. But yeah, right into the wall and uh, not fun. Not. I also went off into a mountain, also due to an inexperience. Well, at least you hit the mountain and you go off the mountain. That's oh, it's pretty gnarly. I'll send you a picture. It's actually I'd rather fun. hit the mountain than fall. Oh, off I, uh, yeah. I would hit the mountain again any day rather than the wall because oh, yeah. the wall uh, destroyed the car and I had to build a new one. Oh, yeah. But that's that's how I ended up getting your product. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> uh, anyways, like man. Uh, I think we're going to about we're about an hour in. Uh, I normally call, call them around here. Is yeah, any- man, because... Yeah, when it comes know, to cars, man, we we can sit here and talk for hours. I know, hours, but it's late where you're hours. at, and I don't want to be rude. <laughs> I'm like up until like 2 in the morning like every day. With, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you for coming on. Is there anything that we missed that you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, we can keep know. going. I'm good. Like, <laughs> just, I was trying to be polite for you because I know it's late there. Doesn't bother me. We're having, I'm actually having a blast. This is awesome. You know, we're talking about cars and stuff. You know. Yeah, I heard that. Like if we're talking about anything else, I'd probably get bored after like a while. But we're talking about cars, so yeah, we'll I agree. Going, you know. <laughs> so why haven't you got um, into drifting yet? Why haven't I got into drifting? It's expensive. <laughs> no shit. No uh, I wanted to do drifting. I think I took my I took my E36 drifting. I okay. took my 240 drifting. How'd you like it? Uh, but those were just like skid pad events, you know, not, not but, like. But, not like, like, but you're still events. doing it. Like it's not. Yeah. I, I don't knock when it's anything like. If it's not a competition you know, event, you're not drifting. Like that's fucking retarded. My 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 thing is, you know, I want to have a dedicated drift car because yeah. if it's, I want to have like a missile car that I can just like screw up, and if it's like if it gets broken, it's like ah, uh, oh well, this sucks. I'll buy another one for a yeah. Don't months. we all? But if you have an that ex- used to be the 240, but now not anymore. <sighs> um, What's in your stable now? Besides- I just have the Miata on the truck. What? What kind of truck yeah. do you have? I have a 2002 Tahoe. Oh, I have a I have a O2 freaking Silverado, so it's the same thing. Mine got yeah. stolen though. Oh dang! Yeah, in, in May. Yeah, those cars are so easy to steal, dude. Like, my car. I didn't even no know chip. that. Didn't know that they showed up in a Tahoe, by the way. Same year, showed oh, up in okay. a Tahoe, I jumped just, in my truck, and yeah. bounced. Oh well, shit! You can just jam a screwdriver, and I'm sure you can just jam a screwdriver right into the ignition and force it to turn. Oh, and it'll just it'll just go. Just in case anybody was wondering, that's exactly what they did. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they also jammed. Uh, the, they also jammed like the the driver's side lock, the door lock. They jammed that too. And little. Thankfully, did, the, they the thieves to... in my area they don't really steal cars. They Dude. just kind of try door handles until they find one that's open and they just take everything in your door. Oh no! They car. there's like a video too, and like they pulled up. Uh, it was parked in front of my neighbor's house, like one house over. They, oh, pull, nice. they pull forward to my house to see if I'm outside because I'm normally outside working on my car or just doing something. Um, and you see them pull forward for like a good, a solid like 20 seconds. Check. And then they back up and then the guy starts going to work on my car. Um, he pops the door lock, pops the ignition, and they just drive off. And my dumb ass was just sitting on the couch watching Netflix that day. Like of all the days I'm not outside happened to oh, be geez. yeah it must have been a target to hit uh they had to have known the with a truck but it was a. Uh, they took my catalytic converters they took my stereo system my battery Catalyte. yeah my battery and it's then they cut a battery hole. yeah and they cut a hole in my fucking gas tank why 
Uh, that's uh, just that's just a, that's just the kick in the nuts right there. Like it, the cut, you know, yeah, yeah. The I catalytic know. converter. Uh, well, I was okay. going to catalytic anyway. Whatever. The stereo <laughs> system. The radio. You know, I, I put in a nice head unit. You know, okay, it's not a too big a deal. The battery is confusing, but hey, let's screw up this guy's gas tank. Yeah, they cut it with let's the just, sawzall too. Oh jeez. Yeah, so I I bought some like epoxy stuff for it to like try to. It was supposed to be like a quote unquote gas tank repair kit. Didn't work, so I got ah. you know old reliable JB weld up there the second time and it hasn't busted since. Jeez. And then I ended up having to. Uh, well, no, I purchased headers from a company here in SoCal. I'm not gonna name them. Uh, but I purchased headers from them. And it was their their quote unquote Tahoe specific headers, but it's all the same shit. Yeah, underneath there. Uh, so, anyways, I purchased them and then they never sent them. So I showed up at their warehouse and I was like, "Hey, man, you know it's been like two weeks. What's going on? You guys have been giving me the runaround." So they gave me the headers and then they ended up refunding me my money. Oh, so I got weird. free headers, which is nice. And then I just put a another used stereo system in there whatever that's how i got I've been the first time hesitant i've been hesitant to do uh, any kind of performance mods to the truck um because what i've realized like yeah i could you know throw an intake at it header header back exhaust you know it wouldn't be too hard the truck plenty of space yeah um you know maybe get hp tuners advance the timing a little bit maybe throw a cam in it you know nothing crazy but it's like thousands of dollars like what i just described what i just described is a few thousand dollars of work and it would take the truck from being slow to to being slightly less slower. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it would still be slow. Yeah, it, it'll still you know? be slow, because like, um, like, what's the point? It'll just be loud and slow. Like, so what's I, the point? So I already have HP tuners, and I've never really yeah. done anything with it. But I actually ended up signing up for that uh, that HP Academy HP tuners uh, beginners course, which is like yeah, free. Good. Which is free, and then they're like. As soon as I signed up for that, I mean, not as like as soon as that class was over, they shoot they shot me an offer to do it for like their full HP tuners class for like three hundred bucks, as opposed to the um, the like thirteen hundred bucks it cost. So I jumped on it. Yeah, I haven't done HP tuners, but I've done a lot of like learning and careful experimenting and research and you know talking to people, talking to tuners. And I've, after all these years, I think I've, I've come to the point where I'm a fairly competent tuner on my own. Uh, so I've tuned my, both of my 240s. Uh, I've tuned my Miata. Uh, so far it hasn't blown up. And I think, I think where a lot of people screw up, even experienced tuners, I think what's important when it comes to tuning is being incremental, Right. Yeah, don't make it, like, massive okay. changes. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's absolutely necessary to fix like a fueling issue, mm-hmm. right? Uh, assuming there's no other mechanical or electrical issue with the car, um, make like small changes, right? So, uh, getting AFRs in line is one thing because you can kind of calculate it out, but like when it, it, you want to be incremental when it comes to ignition timing. Yeah, because I've actually seen you before, like on your story, where you'll pull up a laptop on your. When you were working on your Miata, mm-hmm. I remember I've seen you do it, and I was I was going to ask you this earlier. Actually, it's what kind of like stumbled across this conversation. Yeah, but I've seen you do it before. I was going to ask you that. Um, how long have you been doing that? 
tuning yeah. uh, a couple years now. And uh, people have asked me to tune their cars, and I tell them no because I don't want the liability. <laughs> and what's I don't the... care how much they pay me. Yeah. And know? what was the reason you started tuning? If you don't mind me asking, was it to learn, or is it because my 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 personal thing is because I can't afford to pay somebody else for something I'm going to have to make changes to later and do it again yeah. and again and again. It's cheaper for me in the long run. So it was like your reasoning, just to learn? Or... Um, it was it was to learn because if you can tune, it gives you a greater understanding of how an engine works mm-hmm. and how, how the changes that you make to that engine affect the tune and how it, that, that tune therefore affects your performance of the car. Uh, so for me, it was kind of an important thing to know in order to you know properly understand changes that i'm making to the car um and it was also because uh i had already spent thousands of dollars on the car and it was kind of broke and i kind of wanted to just like learn how to do it so i wouldn't have to pay someone else to do it <laughs> see that's where i'm at dude like, you know because i was just like yeah you know the tune is like 800 bucks and then you make another change to the car and then tuner wants like another like four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars and then he's not available because he's super busy because he's like one of the best tuners and everyone's like hitting him up so he won't you make a change and then you won't be able to see him for like at least a year even if you have the money you know or a year or a month or whatever i didn't want to do that i wanted to understand how this ecu works how this tuning software works and how the changes that i make to the car affect how the ecu controls that engine yeah, and I'm in the same boat because I was completely ready. Like I, I called around and gotten some quotes, and uh, like the best quote I had gotten was like 600 bucks. Um, I was gonna have to drive an hour from my house to go get it done, and like I was like, cool, I'll do it. And then that I just happened to stumble across the HP uh, Academy thing, so I just ran, I ran with it. And then now it's just like, okay, I mean, that's for the long haul. Is it going to be more beneficial for me to learn to do this myself? Or am I just going to pay somebody else to do it every time? And like you had just mentioned, like, okay, yeah, your first one's, you know, six to $800. Your second tune, like to, for a retune, anytime you want to do something, um, that's another like three to 500 bucks, depending on what you do. Um, you know, right. like I've, I've had quotes. I was, I worked with somebody else prior and they tuned the car and I was like, Hey, eventually I found, I plan on doing like a, um, I plan on doing boost and nitrous or whatever the case was like a power right. adder of some sort. Right. They're like, Oh, if you're gonna do a power adder, like it, you know, it's a, it's, you know, you're not going to pay a full tune price, but now you're going to pay like two thirds of what you paid originally. So instead of 600 bucks, like now you're gonna have to pay an additional 400. Right. And I just don't see um, the benefit in that. Now here's the thing, right? Um, in some cases, there may still be a benefit to paying someone to tune a car because, and especially if it's like a more modern car, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm on a Miata, right? So I'm running an engine that's already, you know, at this point, 30 years old. Cause let's face it, the Miata's basic block was designed in the eighties uh-huh. and it was updated, you know, with VVT in the, in 2001. So, but at the, at the, at the very base, I'm tuning a 30-year-old engine on a Megasquirt. So it's not overly complicated, right? It's a motorsport ECU. But when it comes to tuning factory ECUs, factory ECUs have a ton of stuff, right? They have multiple timing tables for different situations. They have timing tables for this. They have – maybe they have multiple layers to, the, to this stuff, right? To the fuel table, to the ignition table. 
And if you make changes to one table, but not the other table, um, the car could go into a mode where now the timing is much more advanced, right? And then you blow your motor because... Trying to you know, avoid you, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not really familiar with tuning OEM ECUs. Uh, really, a lot of these things are for... They're, they're like little tricks that, e that OEMs use to improve emissions or improve gas mileage, you know? Um, so sometimes paying someone else that already has that knowledge uh, to, get a, to get you at least a base tune, right, or a tune that runs and works and produces good power and is reliable, that's worth it because, you know, if you have a built engine and you blow it up, you know, yeah, you tried saving 500 bucks or 800 bucks on... Uh, on the tune, but now you just blew up a ten thousand dollar engine that you just spent, you know, all that money building. Yeah, and then like with the the HP Academy thing, they kind of gonna go into that with like, um, but like it's a if you understand how all of the sensors work and what you're actually looking for, then yeah. you are kind of able to avoid those situations where you're not putting your motor in jeopardy, so to speak. Yeah. So that's something that um, I haven't gone through yeah. the whole course, so I'm kind of like talking a little bit out of my ass. But from what I've yeah. from what I've gotten so far is like, hey, there's a there's a basic understanding to these things. As long as you understand how they all work and what you're looking for, you can completely and totally, you know, um, tune yourself. Like you you would have no issue yeah. if you knew what these yeah. are doing, and that's what yeah. they explained to you. Yeah. So something where something like if you tune like a Haltech or a mega squared or an AEM where all of the functions of that ECU are exposed to you in the software, you know, that's one thing. Because it's fairly easy to understand the documentation, even if it sucks, you can still get, some, you can still get somewhere, right? But if you're tuning a factory ECU, um, then you've got to be a lot more careful and you got to make sure that you make the changes necessary to ensure that the uh, it's going to remain um safe stable and safe and yeah not blow up and on then it. like with if um, isn't that something that's more of like a live tuning right like you can make the changes as the car is doing its thing. yeah with so and that's another that's another advantage uh like for with example cob i don't think i don't know for sure but i think with cob you can't make on the fly changes right um so i can sit in my in my car with my mega squirt with, with my laptop and uh, and jack up the fueling 50% for whatever reason I wanted to, right? And it'll do it on the fly, and the car will start running richer, right? I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think with, with Cog, you actually have to, um, and perhaps another tuning software, I'm not 100% sure because I've never tuned with Cog, but I think you have to reflash the ECU each time because those factory ECUs were not designed with that, you know, on the fly tunability in mind, they're designed to be flashed and that's it. Yeah. And that, that makes sense to me. Uh, for, okay. So like for, I install fire alarms for a living. I know I say that a lot on here. Sorry, you guys had to hear that again. Um, but that's how it kind of works with fire alarms. So when it comes to, I, I can, the, the best way I can say it is like on a fire alarm, I know that if something isn't working, I have to change it in the program and re-upload it to the fire alarm panel. So that is yeah. kind of like the basically the same consensus when it comes to reflashing yeah. the ECU. You read what you're getting from your data logging, and you make the change, and you upload it. 
Now, I don't I don't know a single like alarm system where you can change on the fly shit like that. Like for fire yeah. alarms, you do have to upload and download. So which is essentially like reflashing. So that's what I kind of use for yeah. myself to you, like you get the idea. Yeah, to to be familiar with it. Um, what I think it could be is that yeah. um, it's the type of memory that's being used. Uh-huh. Um, I think a Megasquirt and other, other software, other ECUs, Motorsport ECUs, they probably use some kind of flash memory, right? Which is not as reliable as a uh, like a like a factory ECU would be. Yeah, uh, that's not to say that it's unreliable. It's probably very reliable, but it's not the not the kind of like this is going to last forever reliable you know what i mean like if you're yeah if but your that's, that's anything make it last 10 years yeah if your yeah. megasquare doesn't make it past 10 years you know that's not a big deal whereas if you have a a toyota and your ecu doesn't make it past 10 years that could be a problem um so ease motorsport ecus probably use like flash memory that can be um like that can like a usb flash drive where you can update you know incrementally little bits as as you want but um Factory ECUs maybe may use what's called a uh, an EEPROM, uh, which stands for electrically erasable programmable read-only memory, right? And in order to write to an EEPROM, you can't just uh, change one little bit. You have to wipe the entire thing, and then rewrite the entire thing all at once. And they're very reliable because you know it's you you it's. I don't know why they're reliable, but um, they last like forever, right? And you don't have to worry about, you know, needing to make changes because those changes are more likely going to be made by a technician at a, at a dealership. And they're not going to incrementally change the fueling. They're just going to re-upload the newest tune file from the, uh, from the factory, you know? So that, that's why – I think that's why uh, factory ECUs, you need to constantly – uh, rewrite and re-upload, you know, because you're not just you're you're literally reflashing the software, re- rewriting. The, yeah. Uh, no, no, I get the basic yeah. idea of it. Well, um, just for I like explaining things for some reason. Well, no, no, maybe no, no, it's no, no. Your, that's, uh, that's your, your, Some people who didn't understand it, and I'm par- I am terrible at explaining things. Um, well, I know that. So. Knowing is half the battle. Yeah, I'm like like I'm not a good teacher. Like at work, people will be like, hey. We need you to train this new guy. I'm like, mm, you're asking the wrong person. Because mm. I, I don't have the patience for it. And, I, and I'm I'm not a great... Like, I don't remember everything at once. Like, I have to take notes when I'm talking... Like, even talking to you, I have to take notes down. Because if not, like, if I if I think of something, I'll completely forget about it. And then we'll oh, just yeah, be going I'm, like, uh... Way. I actually had to ch- make a change to how I do business recently. Uh, because oftentimes, I, I tend to be kind of forgetful. You know, because I have I have so much knowledge in my head that you know I kind of I forget things that you know I there's there's not much room for new knowledge sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I like to respond to customer emails and messages on my phone because I felt that it was good customer service to reply quickly, right? Because people get get a good good uh, feeling from that. The problem is that, that let's say let's say I sent someone the wrong part. By accident, right? It happens. Yep. I'm do- I have 800 plus part numbers. Maybe I reach in the bin next door to the bin that I was supposed to reach into and I grab the wrong part, right? Um, and then I would tell the customer, I'll send you the right part tomorrow, right? Tomorrow rolls around and I've forgotten to do so. 
<laughs> because I, I had it in my head, but because I was on my phone, I didn't have the ability to put in place the mechanisms necessary to ship out that part, you know, which is create the order, put in the customer's address, put in the the um, the part number for that order, and send it out, right? But mm-hmm. because I'm on my phone, I can't do that. Whereas now, what I've I've completely stopped doing that. Now I only respond to customer emails when I'm on my computer, whether it's my computer at home or my computer at work at the at the shop. Um, because that way, if I send, if customer says, "Hey, you sent me the wrong part," don't worry, I'll send you the right one tomorrow, and I can actually put in the order on my computer and get it ready to be sent out. You know, I have a question about about one product in particular, the bulkheads. Yeah. Okay, so the bulkheads do not come with the lock nut. Right. Okay. Do you have a reminder on there, or like a, um, like? Um, yeah, I, I guess a, a reminder for the lack of a better word to tell you like, hey, make sure you get the nut. I actually thought about that very thing today. That's fun. Okay, because uh, I ordered two of them and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and then, the rest of yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and, and it's not like, okay, so first of all, the pricing from FLF compared to somebody else who's of the, you know, in the same market, so to speak, like as far as quality, like I've noticed that like there are other companies who are, you know, the, the, we can call the quality is um, not identical, but comparable. And yeah, but your pricing is way lower. And I've also seen some people be like, hey, as people used, you know, Finish Line Factory, like they're, they seem pretty, you know, inexpensive. And, I, and then I, I've had to reiterate like, yes, inexpensive, not cheap. There's a difference. Um, oh, yeah. So like that locking nut. That's not like a, like, is there like a warning label you can kind of like throw at people like while they're about to check out if they don't have it? I'm actually doing that right now. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, shit. I was like, cause I, I'm actually making another order anyways. Um, probably not going to happen until the end of the month when I'm ready. I'm, I just paid for paint and all that fun stuff. Uh, um, nice. yeah. So I got like one last order. So I was like, oh, make sure I, I was like, I threw those in there first just so I didn't forget. Oh, you know what? I actually do have a uh, have a reminder. You but do it's in the description. Yeah, it's it's in the description though. But it's not so like a, it's it... not like a flag. As soon as like you're in your cart and you're like, hey, I noticed you didn't get these uh, locking nuts. No, but it's in the uh, cross sell list. Gonna, not gonna lie. It's in the description. Not gonna lie. Didn't letters. even look at that. Didn't even think oh, about really. it. So what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna move it up to the upper description, the short description. Thank you. I see. So that it's more visible. Look at that improvement. This is Progress. why. See, he listens. You could just ask questions if you don't like something. There you go. Not that I disliked visible. it, but I was what? like, shit. You have to scroll down and look at the bold text. But if you're just like casually buying stuff, you're just, you know, knocking in part numbers and sending it. You know, you're not. Oh, I swear that's exactly what I did. I was like, I need this, 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 and this, and I didn't look at yeah. anything. But now, what it had to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, so now right under the price, between the price and the drop-down list, there's a thing that says, note, this is for the bulkhead only. PTFE yeah. washers, with a link, and bulkhead nuts, with a link, are sold separately. Yeah, see? Sweet. Thank you. You know, I'm going to word that a little nicer. I'm going to change that. Uh, hold on a second. And see, who else makes changes on the fly like that to their own website? Cause, uh, yeah, right. Like, when we first set up, when we first set up my account, like, you were like, hang on. Like, 
and I, I've dealt with other companies before who were like, give me six to eight weeks and I'll never call you back again. Yeah, right. Or they'll uh, they'll send it to their web guy who will never do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I actually have like an issue like that with somebody at work who does like our fire alarm plans. And I've, e- I've emailed them like for the past month asking them for updates and nothing, not even a response. But there. So now at the, at the top, at the bottom, the, the note is the same. It's like, note, this is for the bulkhead only. PTFE washers and bulkhead nuts are sold separately. Now at the top, it's going to say, that, uh, asterisk, this is just the bulkhead. Don't forget to get your PTFE washers and bulkhead nuts too. Shit. I, see, I didn't even know there was a washer with it. Oh, yeah. this is. It's, you don't need it, need it. You yeah. Know, it's yeah. a ceiling washer. So that way, like, if you're... Uh, if this, you're putting it on like a bulkhead, you don't want to scratch the bulkhead. Or if you need to seal the interior or exterior uh, of no, a tank for whatever reason, like the trunk area. Oh, yeah, oh, like, like a like a plastic washer. Yeah, it's it's a Teflon washer. Yeah, so it'll seal. Um, or if you want to use a Teflon washer to prevent the uh, the the bulkhead yeah uh, surface from getting scr- uh, damaged, you know, scratched or for whatever reason, uh, that's available there for two. Yeah. People do that. Like that um, picture I sent you. Some people put a regular washer on it. You know, whatever. Yeah, like that picture I sent you earlier. Like I'm that's what that stuff's for that my next order is, like for those two locking nuts that I missed and then for like those discolored units that I just had extra laying around. So I decided yeah. to use them at the time. So I'm Man, finally I got to retake some of these pictures. Uh which one? Some of the pictures look kind of crappy. Like, Wait, like actually I was kind of curious. Curious. How do you take the pictures like just in like a a white box so to speak and with a camera? It's on the epic little studio that I've built, uh-huh. um, like a little photo studio that I can like put together real quick and then take it down. Um, but generally, it's, just like, it's, it's, it's basically a box, like you know. Yeah. But with um, it's like a special box that I can like kind of unfold, put it together, take a photo. I, like, I use like, like the a, ones you used to use to take tests in elementary school. No, no, not that. Oh, it's that's like, how they. Uh... It's, just, it's just a regular box. It's it's white on the inside. And it's got like a like special thing so that the corners kind of don't show up, and then I just use Photoshop to eliminate it. So that way, the basically I just Photoshop it around so it looks white all the way around. And and have you learned to kind of like do all of that stuff yourself just to save a buck? I don't think I was trying to save a buck. I think it's just because you know I already had the skills as a uh, as a photographer. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. I've been doing photography for since I was like nineteen. Oh shit! Really? Um, how how yeah. old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm thirty. Okay, so yeah, same age, thirty-one. So, you know, like it, I, that's why I, I do everything myself because it's like, you know, why pay someone else to do this thing when I can do it at the same level as they can? You know, um, and I think that that kind of will give me a lot of uh, a lot of advantages as an entrepreneur is um, I don't need to pay someone else to do my product photography. I can do it. I know how to at a professional level. I don't need to pay someone else to do my videos. I can do it myself at a professional level. Or at least somewhat professional. I don't know. Semi-professional. Um, I don't need to pay someone else to do my website because I'm literally a software engineer. Like I can do this all myself. Uh, so on and so forth, you know? I don't yeah. need to pay someone else to do my testing because I understand uh, proper testing procedures and... I understand uh, dynamics and you know statics and engineering, and I have friends that are in- engineers that I can 
coordinate with and test these things properly with using the scientific method. I can ensure that the products that I'm selling are safe and reliable and performant. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, um, jack of all trades, master, master of none. Of none. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I kind of like to say I, I'm a jack of all trades and master of all of them. Yeah. I'm definitely not a master of any, uh, or semi master. I am, uh, even with like my paid gig, which is fire alarms, I'm definitely not a master at that. But I yeah. nothing's beat me yet where I had to like walk away and couldn't fix it myself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm looking at the actually at your photos right now. Uh, did not notice that stuff of how yeah. in detail you actually got. Uh, like you look guys at the bulkhead. You know, yeah, I send you a, I send you a, a text on uh, Skype or Skype. Where did you go? Do you, uh, uh, do you have? I'm not looking at your site. I'm sorry. I meant to say I'm looking at your Instagram. There you go. Um, do like so? All have you kind of set your Instagram up yourself? Like the way you kind of have it lined up, where like you kind of mm-hmm. have these photos, you have these memes, yep, and then yep. you have yeah. So do the you photos, make, all uh-huh. of the photos that you see are photos that I have taken. Correct. Okay. Uh, memes, I don't, I don't really make the memes. I just kind of find them on the internet and go, huh, that's funny. That'd be funny to share. I'll share that with my, my friends. Um, but photos are, uh, screenshots of my videos, things that I've taken. Um, and it's all, it's all my own content. With the exception of the memes. I'm not funny enough for the memes. <laughs> to make memes. What? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm sure that I am creative enough to make the memes, but... You know, between working on the car, going to the gym, um, you know, working on the business, I don't have time to sit down and, and think of memes, too. <laughs> you know? Well, like depending on fail. what you do at the gym, do you do, like, yeah. sets or do you do, like, full-on freaking uh, cardio? Uh, I hate doing cardio. It's so boring. It doesn't everybody? Okay. It's yeah. not that it's I, boring. I, I it's just, like, such a drag. Yeah. Like, I used to do... Uh, you actually got to work I, for something? <laughs> yeah, right. Screw that. <laughs> I, I used to do cardio. But, uh-huh. man, like, you're sitting there and you're just, you know, knocking out, like, half an hour, an hour of cardio. And it's just so freaking boring. But, I don't know, there's something about, like, lifting weights and Dude. maximizing the potential, at least the muscular potential of your body that's so much more interesting to me. Yeah, my fat you ass know? has been, like, lagging it. Like, okay, so before the pandemic hit, I decided to, like, go on a, you know, a, not a diet. I want to say I went on a diet. I wanted to change my diet, rather. You know, yeah. uh, eat, just eat healthier in general, uh, meat and vegetables mainly. And, like, I even have, like, a treadmill in my house and, like, a small weight set. And it is just collecting a whole bunch of dust right now, especially mm-hmm. since the pandemic hit. Like, as soon as, like, I went to sur- survival mode, like for some reason I started eating like shit again, like, cause I was stuck at home all day. So I started eating like hot pockets and frozen burritos instead of like meat and vegetables and, uh, trying to use the little gym equipment I do have. And it screwed me up cause I was down like 15 pounds and now Ooh. it's, it's all back. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. I tried losing weight too. And, uh, I, I, I lost some weight and then I get it all back. Oh, it's the fucking worst. I hate it. I hate I'm it. Still, I'm still down from my peak, but I, it's still pretty bad. 
Um, I've lost I've lost a decent bit of weight, but I got to lose more. Yeah, same. I got. Um, I think what inspired going back to uh, me me knowing all all this stuff. I think what inspired me was one of my teachers. Um, I studied like computer repair and stuff in in high school, mm-hmm. and one of my teachers like he used to have like all these different jobs. Like he used to have do this thing. He used to be a firefighter. He used to do this stuff. And at some point, like he, I think he even knew like how to fly a plane. He had a pilot's license. And at some point I asked him like, so like, is there anything you haven't done? You know, cause this is like, this is kind of silly. Right. And, um, you see it? The only thing he hasn't done is trains, like being a, a train engineer. Conductor? Kind of special, yeah. Like a conductor. Yeah. Cause it's kind of a specialized job. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. working on trains. Um, and that's like, okay, that's kind of reasonable. I understand why, you know? So like, you know, plus I imagine it's kind of boring because you're just kind of there like, you know, making sure the train runs. Like you're not, it's not like you can steer the thing, you know? Um, but yeah, like that, that kind of inspired me like all the way in high school. And I was like, you know what? I want to use my time to, to learn and yeah. gain as knowledge as possible oh, okay. um, because everything is useful to some degree and if i can be more reliant on myself then you know i can i can do more you know knowledge is uh, knowledge is key knowledge is power yeah that's the same thing for me is like i wanted to learn as much as possible like when it comes yeah to building cars and I, i've never i don't i don't think i've ever said this on this show but my uh like my always my ultimate go goal was to have a street driven track ready. Like I've always wanted to build those type of cars. Like I've always had something in the back of my head. It's a, it's a G body Malibu. It's a street driven car that is completely like caged and ready to go to the track with, oh, you know, nice. it's a, it's something that's always been in the back of my head. And I've always wanted to do that like as a living, but at the same time, like I have no desire to do it as a living because like, I don't want it to ruin like my passion for it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, I don't want to struggle with it, like, trying to make a living out of, like, doing car stuff and then end up resenting it, which is, yeah. like, the biggest reason I've never, like, actually, like, taken on something. But so now I just build a drift car in my spare time and yeah. see where the hell it gets me. Well, hey, if you build a G-Body, uh, just make sure you're ready for the G-Body, fu- the G-body shovel. Oh, it's not that type of track car. Oh okay. Yeah, <laughs> I actually want to build like a, uh, a G body or something you know, like a, as a uh, as a drag car. Dude, ugh, I love them. I I found a, I found out about like the G, I didn't I didn't know any. It I've looks always, so cool. The like boxy and eighties yes. badass. So like my dad, uh, I grew up in the car scene like with my dad, and he's like into like sixties and seventies hot rods, which is great. He's built like a couple of uh, actually like three sixty four GTOs, a sixty five. Um, a 64 Oldsmobile Cutlass, a uh, 64 Buick Skylark, which is actually the technically, quote-unquote, like, my build that we just kind of, like, did, quote-unquote, together. Um, and then, like, just, that's what I grew up around going up, like, as a child. I went to car shows, walked around, like, over here we have something called the Pomona Swap Meet in California. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, every fucking, like, I don't know, like, I want to say, like, eight times a year. There's a car show, there's a swap meet, there's, like, a whole bug section. Like, that's what I grew up going to. So I've always grown up, like, around cars in the car scene. Um, and then when I was, like, as I got older, like, you get into, like, I don't know if you remember Overhauling, the show. I remember. Yeah, rides, shit like that. 
ne- was never a huge fan of like um pit my ride it it wasn't my style obviously saying overhauling and rides is complete opposite um but that's how i ended up getting into cars and then i found out about drifting when i was like 17 16 maybe yeah. and then i had a 91 accord i don't know if i've ever actually ever actually told this story i might have um i had a 91 accord and i was pulling the handbrake around corners like everywhere this is right after like uh tokyo drift came out 17 years old some dumbass kid in a honda well i pulled that handbrake right into a fire hydrant Ooh, yeah it was nice uh i think i actually have pictures from it so i think i have talked about it but i never uploaded the pictures because i couldn't find them again it was on like my old photo bucket when that was the thing but like that's how i got into cars and then now then i found out about drifting and then in 2015 i finally went to like a formula drift round and then i completely fell in love and i was like all right i'm gonna try it like i'll do whatever i have to so actually drifting yeah drifting actually made me focus more on my career to move up like within my within like working on you know fire alarms and shit like that to get more money so i can pay for this Right. So we'll see where the hell it goes. It better fucking get me to at least to pro two. So I can at least say I, I got there. Okay. So we'll see. How, How did you end up getting into cars? Uh, my uncle was always in the cars and uh, he has, he had like an old Alfa Romeo and uh BMW and, um, I had some friends that were into cars and modifying cars and, uh, it's just kind of something that just grew into something um, bigger and bigger over time. So just, you know, uh, at some point I realized I, I knew so much about cars and I had so much about all this stuff that it just kind of seemed like the logical next step, you know, just uh, get into cars, get a car, start modifying it, start learning and stuff like that, you know, just working on it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how it starts. And what did he have? Exactly. He had a an Alfa Romeo Spider. Gee, that's a that's a very oddball car person to have a, an Alfa Romeo Spider. That's not yeah. yeah, that's not a typical car guy. That I like that. Yeah. That's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. He had an Alfa Romeo Spider. Uh he was always like checking out car forums and stuff. He had, he had like a whole bunch of model cars. My mom bought me model cars. Um it was, it was fun. You know, just it just kind of, it was just something that was interesting to me, and I think what would help further grow that uh, that interest in cars was playing Need for Speed Underground too. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that me and many other people were all introduced to the world of modifying cars and stuff. I actually played Need for Speed long before I ever watched Fast and the Furious, uh, and just modifying just the culture of like modifying cars you're taking something that's slow and then improving it and then you can you can have like the car that's cheaper to build and you can build it to be as fast as like a more expensive car yeah uh, that's always been cool and very appealing to me you know you know uh, I, I'm completely opposite so like the whole growing up around cars thing that's been since I was probably since I can remember like there's literally a scar on my forehead from me like running around my dad's garage and then like bumping into a motor he had on the stand. Ouch. Uh, so yeah, I kind of grew up around it, but I remember seeing, um, fast and the furious for the first time when I was what, I think I was like 
10 when that came out, maybe 11. And then, like, just instantly falling in love. And it, I didn't care for the cars because uh, they weren't, that's not what I grew up around. But I remember, like, just seeing that. And then, like, you see that whole culture of uh, the whole street racing thing. I, I think it's kind of, it's silly now in retrospect, but at the time it was like, wow, this is really cool. Other people were mm. in the cars. I didn't know that. Especially as a kid who went to school and I would like talk about cars and people would be like, who the fuck is in the cars, bro? So, what? Yeah. None of my, like no one I knew in school was into cars. Wow. That's awful. Yeah. I'd tell me about it, but already yeah, man. Into cars. I know we, <laughs> yeah, now, now my whole life is into cars. Like everything. I have a yeah, fucking right. podcast. That's about literally drifting. Um, Including everyone else that's into drifting and cars and, you know, you yourself who works with quote unquote, I hate the saying this drifters, um, like in the industry, like I'm pretty sure there's, there's someone at every level, you know, there's, there's the people that want to be drifters. There's the people that are doing it. Um, and I say, Hey, you know what, man, just either do it or put into place the things necessary for you to do it if you can't do it, right? So don't be a quote-unquote drifter. Like if you can't afford to drift or if you want to get into drifting but you're not really ready to fully commit, put into place what is necessary for you to go drifting, right? Get the car, get the car set up, you know, learn, watch videos. That way when you show up to the track, you know, you're not you're not the guy in a, in a beat-up 240SX that's, you know – failing to drift you're the guy in the beat up 240sx that's actually drifting and having fun you know uh with that like that's my biggest struggle is i think and everyone knows not to go straight into competition like it's it's a common yeah role i i did and uh i've been struggling the entire time um i do have like one competition that i'm signed up for which is the um the vegas pro 2 shootout this year in October, yeah. but I'm not yeah. signing up for anything else. Like I, I my car's not going to be done till probably like this time next month. Uh, yeah. which is like because basically at the end of the month I'll be ordering the last of the fuel lines that I need and some brake lines, and then that's it. And then the car yeah. will be done because everything else in between I already actually already have all the material and stuff. Yeah. So then I can finish the car and I want to get as like as much seat time as possible. But I signed up for that shootout because, and I said it on this podcast before that I knew what was going to happen. I was going to have the money in my bank account. The shootout was going to open for registration and I was going to pay for it. Yeah. And then in hindsight, I could have been working on the car this whole time and actually had the car done probably with the money I spent and the time I've taken off from working on it from not doing anything to it for a while. Um, it would have been done right now and I could have been, you know, putting money towards getting tires and going to get seat time and shit like that. But yeah. So like right now is the goal is to finish the car, get as much seat time before that event. I have no plans on actually finishing, um, you know, like I have no plans of finishing on the podium of that event, but I would like to make at least get into like the top 16 if I'm lucky because of the way that that round works. Um, there's oh. no qualifying. So you do the uh, 
They just top kinda 32 have, in top 16 or whatever? Uh, it, it depends on how many drivers show up. I don't know if they... I know it's 40 drivers cap. It's like 20 Ooh. drivers, then down to 20. No, 40 drivers, then down to 20 maybe. And then they kind of go from there. I'm not sure exactly how it works yet. Okay. I've yet to go. Um, so, like, at least do something there so it's not a total waste of money. Um, yeah. But, like, I'm not – I have no competition plans for the rest of the year until next year. Just try to get as much seat time. And that's why I've taken the time to actually stop, build the car correctly. Because last year I had yeah. a clutch failure, which actually took the motor out with – the flywheel oh, actually – Yeah, the flywheel blew up. And it cracked the block when it when it oh, did geez. it. Yeah, so I spent the extra money this year on all good parts, and I'm hoping to actually get the ample seat time. So all the money I spent from here on out is just on seat time and not constantly fixing the car. Okay. So we will see what happens, yeah. and hopefully by 2021, I can actually say I hold the Pro Two license. Sick. The goal, especially with like COVID going around and everything shut down, like. Honestly, every with with all this going around, mm-hmm. all the people that were talking about how they're building their cars and stuff, at a minimum, if you have at least have the money to do so, you know, by twenty twenty one, your car should be done. All right, get get on already. <laughs> yeah, no, no, my car will you know? definitely be done. I think not your car, not your car. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, I, was, I was talking to like the the viewer, you know, the or the listener, you know, like uh, there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, my car. Yeah, but be you got to remember it too. Like at the same know? time, like some people who are because of yeah. COVID have lost their jobs. Yeah. So if, now they're if, not having that income. Within reason, of course. Within reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. If you're broke and you know you're struggling to pay the rent because now you've lost your job, especially people in the food industry, like your everything there has just been like wiped out. You know. Yeah. Exactly. If you're struggling, then yeah, I get it's it. understandable. But, you know, Definitely. if you're in like a safe industry and you know you're still able to pay the bills, but and you know you're you're working on building your car and you keep talking about how you're going to build the car, but you never have time. Well, guess what? Uh, now you've got time. You know, exactly. get your car done. You know, get, yeah. Get it, get out there so that way you can hit 2021 hard and get out there and have fun, you know? But I'm not going to lie. I was, once that fucking thing hit and I was like worried about survival, I sat on my couch with my thumb up my ass doing nothing. And I could have been <laughs> doing all the work that I'm doing now, which is like yeah. the worst work in the world, which is like body work and fabrication. I hate it. Ooh. I'm not a fan, uh, but yeah. I can't afford somebody when, else to do it. So when COVID hit, I was like really, really concerned because I was like, Oh man, this could be a lot of broke people. Um, no one's that, gonna be buying. You know, you know, when when you're broke, and I get it too. Yeah. Like, things like paying your rent kind of become you know a little more important, important than, than um, buying some fasteners or buying, some fucking buying hoses fittings or, or yeah. buying turbos and stuff. You know. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the the industry overall has taken a hit. But so far, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my sales are some percentage lower than what they would have been. But I'm very fortunate and very happy that, you know, business has been good. Business has been okay. Um, I've been selling a, a decent bit. Uh, you know, I'm sure that if COVID hadn't hit, I'd probably get like a lot more sales. But uh, I'm, I, feel, I feel very fortunate to be able to have been in a position where at, at a minimum, at least like, you know, I don't have to worry too much because it's like everything's okay right now. Um, so I got, I got that going for me. Uh, hey, so. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, your Steam port kit for the LS, there's no picture. Um, I never finished that kit. Uh, no. You know what? 
I I was supposed to I, get. I the wanted Steam to order one because my dad needs ones too. My dad, my I can eh. still put together the kit. My father needs one picture. too, and I wanted to get him one as well. You know what I gotta do? I gotta I gotta design and, and complete the Steam blocks. You know, I, it just kind of fell in the back burner because I was like, it's there. Uh, um, so if I ordered it, I'd be. On. If yeah. you order it, I'll still be able to put together the kit, assuming that I have the parts in stock, which I believe I should. Uh, but I gotta remake that kit that's on the website. It's so on the back burner for me as well. Like I have yeah. the stock, I have two sets of stock uh, Steam Park kits. So I was gonna give my dad one because he's building a '69 uh, Malibu right now, and he, I was like, "Hey man, you don't have no Steam, you don't have no Steam Park." steam ports on here he's like oh yeah i gotta order those i was like i have one at home i'll just give it to you uh yeah so but but i was telling him i was like you make one but i'm glad i clarified that with you before i was like hey order this yeah it's been sitting on there because you you i'm assuming you haven't got any orders on it i've actually gotten orders on them with the picture as it is like just saying like coming soon image coming. yeah yeah right okay but maybe the image is coming soon eventually but um, I never I never completed the kit because uh, it it, just, it would just kind of become a, like a backburner thing because most of most of the money I make uh, at least sales wise are just selling these little individual components like so if you wanted a steam yeah. kit all you gotta do is buy the parts but um, what I what I have to do is yours uh, a hard a is yours a hardline kit no no it's just the softline kit okay no uh, no I'm just it, curious. it uses nylon braided hose so it's it's it's, it's good it, to go it uses nylon braided hose okay but I was um. I have a setup that will take all of the individual pieces of the kit, and if all of those pieces to build the kit are in stock, mm-hmm. it'll display the, the stock number on the website of how many possible um, kits that I can build out of what, my, what is an inventory. Because uh, one issue that I had in the past was I would sell a kit, and then one piece would be out of stock. So that... Uh, this new setup that I that I've been experimenting with on the website, um, and I've confirmed that it works properly, yeah, uh, would be a lot better because that way you know I, I don't have to worry about selling something that I can't I can't uh, deliver on, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So well, anyway, it's uh, that was the last question I had for you. Well, cool. And one more thing, I, I also just kind of realized that uh, I was kind of following my own advice there and like put put into place the things necessary in order for you to be able to do those things that you want to do right um drifting mm-hmm. isn't too high of a of a bar because like drifting is actually if you want to get into it at an amateur level drifting and autocross are probably the least expensive forms of motorsport so if you want to do motorsport if you're in drifting or autocross you are literally doing motorsport yeah um and i was thinking like man like i have to I want to compete in road racing. I want to compete in like Spec Miata or NASA or whatever. Um, if I want to do this, I need to have the budget necessary to do so. So I guess with the business, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing that for myself, which is kind of cool. You know, do whatever you got to do. Whether it's start a business, go to college and get a nice, get a degree and get a nice job as you know IT or whatever. Uh, do what you got to do so that you can achieve your dreams. That, yeah, that's definitely a good way. To- Work your ass off and you'll get somewhere. Exactly. Right. Okay. But you don't get you don't you don't get nowhere by not working. Correct. Yeah, you got to do something. Um, I, I, thank you for coming on. Uh, I really do appreciate it. I was uh, I was a little hesitant at first to like ask you to come on because I wasn't sure, uh, but I I really enjoyed it actually. So 
Thank you. Awesome, man. Hey, I love cars. I love what I do. I love the That's... community. I love the grassroots you... motorsports community. And I love it. Thank you. I just, I just love cars, you know. So thank you for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, this was cool. Like, uh, th- it was, it was cool to be on your, on your show and um, maybe contribute some of the knowledge and advice that I have. To oh, the community. definitely. And then, and then, like, the, a lot of things is like when I do have companies on, like such as yourself, like you own Finish Line Factory, I do try to touch base on the uh, sponsorship side because. Like, I've had several companies on. Like, I've had Big Duck Club. I've had Kenda mm-hmm. Tires on. I've had oh, cool. Deechworks um, on. And, like, I just kind of, like, want everyone's different perspective, so to speak, when it comes to, like, reaching out to companies such as yourselves. Like, you know, what are you guys looking for? What are you guys not looking for? You know, obviously, everyone is looking for a return on their investment. But I think the way you've kind of touched base on what your return on investment is is completely yeah. different to what everyone else has said on the show. Uh, like you've actually used a dollar amount as opposed to like saying like, Hey, I helped this guy with a thousand bucks worth of product and he's brought me five grand in return. You know what I mean? Like it's a, right. Uh, not that you use that exact term, but it's just right, kind of right. very well, helpful for other people to be that, like, in addition, in addition, yeah. uh, it's not just sometimes, sometimes it's not about the dollar amount, right? Sometimes it's not about, you know, a I, I spent a thousand dollars and I got a 5,000 out of it. Sometimes it's also just exposure, Right. Um, because I'm such a fairly new company. Yeah. See. Um, okay. So, and b- before, please finish. But let me say one thing. Um, I've had companies right. on here who say, like, I'm not looking for exposure. Like, I'm looking for a return on investment, not exposure. But go ahead. Right. Well, yeah. You're you're literally looking for exposure. You are looking for exposure. That's what you want. And exposure results in a return on your investment. Right. And sometimes in ways that you can't, you aren't thinking about it, right? Um, so, it, it, like for example, um, my parts being used on the B is for build uh, uh, LS, LS Swap Huracan on the, on, the, on the YouTube channel. I actually remember talking to uh, some of the guys there and kind of helped me like realize this because I was kind of like, oh man, not really, nobody's really buying anything after the first couple of weeks, right? And I talked to him, and, and then it kind of helped me realize because uh, I'm 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 masterful a lot of things, but it's very difficult to 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 wear every single hat. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um. So it kind of helped me realize, like, oh, this isn't just about money. Sometimes it's about exposure. It is about exposure. It's about you know getting. It's not necessarily about getting the product in the eyes of people. But also to get those people to understand that it is a high quality product, that it's a product that is worthy of being on this very prestigious build, this very, you know, where a ton of ton of work is put getting put into it. And if something stupid like a fitting fails, then you've got a stupid leak and it's gonna take forever to fix, or you could cause a safety issue. Um, you I, I do look for exposure in that regard where, you know, it grants some validity to the product where the people will go oh hey these things are actually very good they're actually very high quality you know and that's why i i put this stuff on my own car on the on the miata and my 240 um to show people that hey look i'm building this thing i've literally got like like for example my oil system on the miata i goes it goes out of the motor up to a remote oil cooler down to the oil cooler remote oil filter down to the oil cooler right and then back into the engine 
if any of those hoses fail or are improperly routed and leak, it'll greatly reduce the oil pressure in the motor and I will blow like a $6,000 engine. You know? Yeah. that's Just because that's the hose you... failed. So um, by, by doing this, these things and by putting my, my parts on these cars and doing these sponsorships, I'm showing to the people that what I sell is worthy of being on a motorsport car, being on a race car, that you can trust that what I'm selling you is quality. Yeah, and that's why I said, like I mentioned earlier about, you know, me me being an asshole and pulling my car onto the trailer, you know, incorrectly and fucking up the whole bottom, like, of my car. Not only my car, but, like, I have to send you some pictures because I'm actually going to be taking them out soon. So yeah. you can see where they're all scraped up and scratched, and you can see where they clearly have came into, like, some type of uh, confrontation with another material, uh, the best way to put it. And they're fine. Like, I had no problems, like, as far yeah. as leaks go throughout the season. I've had problems during overheating throughout the season because not only did I have improper, um, like, uh, fans, I didn't have proper ventilation. So it was basically just recirculating, oh. like, hot air back there because I have my uh, radiator in the rear. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've changed that this year. That's that's what I'm saying. Like I've rebuilt the whole car um, and everything like that. Uh, hopefully that helps me out. Um, but like, those are still good. Like they're still solid. Like yeah, there's a little. You can see physical damage, but there's not enough damage for me to be of concern to be like, should I need to replace this to the extent yeah. of like it's gonna blow apart? Like you can see yeah. like the steel braid, but you could still you could see that it's still intact. But the nylon is a little yeah. busted. Yeah. Well, I'm not now about imagine if you didn't notice that damage and you had a cheaper uh, or yeah, just a cheaper, you know, version, yeah. That car, you know? And you went out and competed and then you're, you know, going sideways, banging off the limiter and the hose bursts, throws a ton of hot coolant, hot slippery coolant all over the track. Um, and it could go over your tire, your rear tire and you could slip. It, your your tandem partner that's behind you could uh, spin out from that and crash. Or wreck you know? into you. Yeah. Or wreck into you. Um, at a minimum, you're going to piss off everyone at the track, every other driver that now has to, because now the track has to clean up the coolant spill that's on the, that's on the track. We're not allowed to run um, coolant. Yeah, all because, you know, you wanted to save a couple bucks on, on uh, the hoses and fittings instead of using quality parts to begin with. Yeah. And the last question I'm going to ask you, um, before we call it here, what <laughs> okay. type of photos and um, quote unquote exposure would you like from your sponsorees um, to upload? Like, I like like action photos, you know, okay. like showing the the car drifting, showing the car being you know, competing uh, with other cars on track, you know, okay. things that that stir the soul and are super exciting, you know? And and with that, what is that, how does that show off your product though? If, if you don't let me ask it, I know that's kind of like a difficult question, but, um, without seeing your actual product, like, yes, they might, they may see your logo. Your, yeah. They may see the logo, but maybe, well, to that end, maybe, maybe having, uh, having photos of the product, like, nice pretty photos like i'm sure you've seen a few on my on my instagram mm -hmm. i mean a nice pretty photo of the product 
showing that, hey, this car is doing this thing with these parts on it, and it's not breaking. Thumbs up. Got it. Okay. I'm asking asking for myself because I got to make sure like I deliver. And you know what? I think I think like the same goes for for anyone. You know, yeah. At a minimum, I want to see that the person that I'm sponsoring, you know, if they send me like photos and stuff and showing that they are actually doing the thing that they said that they're they're doing, Uh it makes me feel better and it makes me feel better about my investment. That makes sense. Okay, this is good. This is good. I'm asking for my own personal gain, you know, because I'm not worried about these people that listen. Just kidding. but I do, I do, I ask like a, a first person question, like, cause I want to know because I, I'm, there's gotta be other people that want to know. Maybe they know. That's cool. I don't. So, and there's other people that don't. So I got to ask these questions. Um, thank, Hey, thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it. Um, how can people find you finish line factory and yourself if they want to follow you on a personal deal? They like can if- go to my Instagram at finish line factory. They can check us out on YouTube. Just search for finish line factory. And if they are interested in purchasing product, inventory, whatever, you can go to finishlinefactory.com. If you own a shop, please definitely go to finishlinefactory.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's a link that says wholesale application. Fill that out, and I'll have one of my wholesale account representatives give you, uh, give you a call or an email. Sweet. Thank you, sir. Awesome, buddy. Thanks, Cheryl. I appreciate that coming, uh, coming on, and uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. You have a good one. Awesome. You have a good night. All right. Bye. Bye.